Hello and welcome to Retrospection, where we take an old show or film and see if phasers should be set to stun or kill. In this episode, we're taking a look at Star Trek V, The Final Frontier from 1989. My name's Colin, and please, Captain, not in front of the Klingons. Oh, those Klingons. And I'm Paul, and uh, each man hides a secret pain. Sure yours with me. Oh, I'd rather not. That sounded creepy. <laughs> you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to work in, in Cybox role because everyone would be like, Ugh, no. Well, I couldn't start a cult. I think I could. You could if you spell it slightly differently. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. The film stars William Shatner as Captain Kirk. I feel weird doing a cast list for Star Trek because it's so obvious, but I'll do it. There might be some people that don't know. Forrest Kelly as Dr. McCoy, Leonard Nimoy as Spock, James Duhan as Scotty, Walter Koenig as Chekhov, Michelle Nichols as Uhura, Josh Dekai as Sulu, and David Warner as St. John Talbot, or Sinjin, and Lawrence Luckenbill as Cybok. Directed by William Shatner from a screenplay by David Lowry, from a story by William Shatner and Herb Bennett. Oh, and you can tell it's a story by William Shatner. I mean, he gives himself all the best things to do, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Music's by Jerry Goldsmith. And it's basically, a lot of it is Star Trek The Motion Picture, isn't it? Yeah, I wonder if that was just because it was cheaper. I would imagine so on this movie. Yeah. Budget was a factor. Oh, a big factor. (laughs) Not everyone was happy with the story. Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry objected to the character's search for God in general. And more particularly, the idea of God is portrayed by Western religion. Although some people say that he was more upset because he tried to get God into the Star Trek motion picture and they refused to do it. Yes, isn't there that his original script for Star Trek the motion picture had them looking for God? It was I think it was actually called the God Complex or something like that. Oh really? Something like that. Anyway, and it was about them searching for God and time travel and reverting JFK's assassination. That's a lot of stuff. So, you know, it's classic Roddenberry in the fact that he was probably pissed that he didn't get to do his thing. Yeah, sounds like mm-hmm. it. While Roddenberry, Kelly and Nimoy gave their approval to the revised script, Paramount was concerned that the film would go over budget as written and ordered cuts. And it really made some major budget restrictions on this film. Oh yeah, I mean, especially in the the third act. Um, Because Shatner envisioned angels and demons at the film's climax, and they were converted to rock monsters (laughs) that the false god would animate from the earth. Shatner wanted six of them, but was forced to get just one. Yeah, and they couldn't make it work, could they? in the end no they couldn't right i mean i think there's footage of it test footage of it on the blu-ray it looks okay but i think his idea was to at least if i got one if i creatively shoot it in different places i can make it look like there's more than one but i think shatner says it ends up just looking like a guy in a suit yeah and it was a guy in a suit at the end of the day so yeah paramount's rushed the film into production in late 1988 despite the writer's strike cutting into pre-production mm-hmm and then, shortly before the beginning of location shooting, Hollywood Union truck drivers, Teamsters, went on strike to protest pay cuts. And with deadlines looming, the production searched for non-union drivers. And then they were word that Teamsters might retaliate by sabotaging equipment or flying airplanes above the film to ruin the audio recordings. And then one of the production's camera trucks exploded in the studio parking lot. Honestly, the story of this film could make a movie in itself. Probably a better movie than this. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. So they ended up having to have non-union drivers work in cover of darkness with a police escort. (laughs) 
Who'd have thought making a Star Trek movie could have been such a, you know, such a, uh, almost a, a Bond movie in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shakari is a word play on Sean Connery. Yeah, because he was the uh, original choice that they wanted to play Cyborg, wasn't he? Yes, he was. I wonder why he didn't do it. You think playing God would be perfect for him? <laughs> I can't imagine that Shatner would have been happy sharing the screen with Sean Connery. Talk about egos. Yeah, colliding on screen. Yeah, like planets. A bit like when we do this. <laughs> There's only one ego, and that's yours. <laughs> really? <laughs> All right. Mm. <laughs> Uh, do you, I mean, we could talk for hours about the background to this film, but do you have anything else you want to add before we start? Um, there's a, a few little things that I, that amused me. I, um, David Larry, the scriptwriter, suggested in a meeting that Uhura should do a, an exotic dance. Uh, but he, he suggested it just as a joke, and he was surprised when the producers immediately liked the idea and stuck it in there. We'll get to that. Yeah, you, you throw something in like that just as a bit of a laugh. You know, you're basically taking right. the piss, aren't you? But oh yeah let's do that and then yeah (laughs) there it is there's a lot of effect shots taken from um previous trek movies as well isn't there yeah there is yeah because they couldn't get ilm to do the effects for this because there were so many special effects films coming out at the time and budget restrictions so they got a very small company to do that and let's just say they are less than adequate there's a couple of shots that are okay not many are they the ones borrowed from other films (laughs) well besides those yeah (laughs) Um, Kim Cattrall auditioned for the role of uh, Klingon Vixis. Oh, I'm glad she didn't get it, actually, because I think she's better in Star Trek VI. Better role for her. And apparently she she was um, Nicholas Meyer's first choice to play Savick in Star Trek II. So she finally got the chance to play um, a Vulcan. That would have been better, because then at least she would have kept the role for two films. She would, but don't you think that the role of... The role in Star Trek VI is slightly more interesting than than Savick? Yeah, I do. And I don't have a problem with Kirstie Alley in Star Trek too. No, not at all. No. Um, George Takai originally turned the movie down because he didn't want to be directed by William Shatner. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh. I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine why. <laughs> They're such great friends. They are. They are, especially if you watch the press conference. Okay, so you saw the press conference, right? I did. It, it, it is a, a thing unto itself, this press conference. So Half Bennett comes out, does mm-hmm. a terrible gag. That's right. About the music, Star Trek music stats, and he's like, no, not now. Nobody laughs. But <laughs> he seems to think it's hilarious because he does this big grin and he's smiling. And then what's the deal when he, he gets his credit card out and goes, do you know who I am? And then shows everybody his credit card. <laughs> Just, I don't what, know. I don't get was that. Was that an all. 80s thing? What, what was going on there? I, I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know what's going on in this press conference at all. Okay. So then, and, and of course, it's, it's on the set and there's a curtain behind him mm-hmm. separating everybody. And then have does some speech with a few jokes that no one's laughing. And then he introduces William Shatner, who can't find his way through the curtain. I don't know whether he really can't find his way through the curtain or it's a terrible, it's another terrible gag. I, I thought it, it seemed like a terrible gag. It seemed like something that okay. amused him at the time. Okay, so he comes through and then he starts talking about the film but says very little because even though this is a press conference, for some reason the story is top secret. Yeah, I don't get that. He then says, like, we're going to introduce you to crew. He says, pull back the curtain, which nobody does. 
<laughs> so then he says to the woman who's standing to the right in a uniform, pull, pull back the curtain. And she points to the other side because clearly she's not in control of the curtain. And eventually it opens <laughs> to reveal the bridge crew. Was none of this rehearsed? I don't know. So then William Shatner's got a microphone and he's going to introduce Leonard Nimoy, James Doohan, Josh Takai, Walter Koenig, you know, everybody. Yeah. But for some reason, he doesn't give them any time to respond. They get one line each, don't they? But he, and, he, and he takes the microphone away from them before they finish the line. <laughs> and the worst one, he, he says, like, this is so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. But when he gets to Walter Koenig, he doesn't introduce him. He says, this is... This is the guy who plays Chekhov. And Walter Koenig looks at him and then says his name like Walter Koenig, you know, Koenig. He says his name and then starts talking in Russian. But at this point, William Shatner's buggered off with the microphone. Shatner does not give a shit about any of these people, does he? <laughs> and what was it with Nichelle Nichols? Because she says like, she starts to say something and then she's going to say captain. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like she doesn't want to say it. Well, you know that originally this was supposed to be, the idea was for them to do it all in character and take questions in character. So, Sh right. so Shatner the, wouldn't be Shatner. He would be Captain Kirk. But then they thought, we can't control this. So we, 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 we better just let them be who they are. So I think there's remnants then, of that still there. Because doesn't oh. DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy have lines in character? Well, Lennon Nimoy says this is not logical. Yeah, and doesn't Dee Forrest Kelly refer to William Shatner as Jim? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just funny, Nichelle Nichols is like, she says something and then she's like, C -c Captain. But he's already gone with the microphone. He's left. He's gone, gone to the next person anyway. You know, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if uh, William Shatner at that point, even all those years later, still didn't know who Walter Koning is. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's like, this is this guy. I've seen the back of him quite a lot. <laughs> I don't only recognize him from the behind. <laughs> He's got a worse her herpes than mine. Yeah, some of them leave because... And I, is Nichelle Nichols ill or something? Because he makes a joke about someone going to sickbay. Yeah, he says that um, a couple of the principal actors need to go because it's a work day for them. Uh, and it, right. it, it, it's a coincidence that it happens to be both DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy. I find that's quite strange right. that they don't get oh, to stick around. About you know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, and then um, I think Nichelle, Nichelle Nichols gets to go because apparently she's she's not well. Right. And the rest of them have to sort of like stick around in the background, don't they, while William Shatner takes questions. Yeah, the lame questions because, you know, it's a press conference. But also he's not telling them anything anyway mm. because for some reason the story is secret. Even though doesn't he say that a week later it's going to be, it's all going to be out there or something? Yeah, and then he's like, they're like, well, how, <laughs> somebody asked him like, why did it take you so long to direct a film? <laughs> He's like, because nobody had let me. Yes. Although he does point out that it's not the first time he's directed, that he's done TV. Yeah, and theatre. Yeah, and theatre, yes. It's not the same. Yeah. Don't you get the impression, though, that inside he's seething at some of these questions, but he's just holding it in because he's playing the game? He's, yeah, because it's he's just professional. A... You know, but at the end... I of... guess it's just a very weird experience, and it's embarrassing, and... Uh, I, I, 
I I actually felt embarrassed watching it, even though it occurred all those years ago. Yeah, you're embarrassed about something that happened 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. You feel yourself getting hot. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I got to turn this off. But no, I want to keep watching it because it can't get any... Oh, yeah, it is going to get worse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if, if anyone wants to watch this, it is on YouTube. So check it out. It, 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 is, a, it is amazing. And it's also an extra on the Blu-ray. You could do a whole podcast on that one press conference (laughs) (laughs) this film initially got really good reviews didn't it um did it (laughs) am i doing that thing again where i (laughs) yeah no no i I probably should know that one that's one of those pieces of information i should know but did it get good reviews it did it got got a couple of good reviews to, to the point where shatner read these reviews and and thought oh we're on to a winner here but then later he admitted that the movie almost ended the cinematic franchise of star trek yeah, I mean, it, it didn't do very well. But it, it was a tough year for films. It was. They were up against Ghostbusters 2, um, Batman, um, Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, Lethal Weapon 2. That's a good year, right? That is a good year for movies, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> to the point where this film didn't get released on the cinema in a lot of countries. It came straight to video, apparently. Although I did see it on the cinema. Really? I saw it in the cinema here twice. Was the second time just to make sure you'd seen what you really thought you'd seen? <laughs> there was a little bit of that, yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe I missed something, you know. But um, uh, Shatner, to this day, still pesters Paramount to let him um, do a special edition in the same vein as the motion picture to, to, to finish the movie with effects and the way he wanted it to be. Yeah, I think that's in the audio commentary that he does with his daughter on the Blu-ray. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see that. I would. I don't see it happening. There's no. a lot of um, fan edits out there, isn't there, of this movie that, that purport to make it better than the original cut. I haven't seen any of those. I think, I must, I think I'll check those out. There's one in particular that I'll mention later because it pertains to a certain shot in the movie. But, um, yeah, you, you should check them out. Some of them are quite good. Oh, okay. I will do. And the only other thing that I was going to say is that this is the only Trek movie to ever win the Worst Picture Golden Raspberry Award. Ooh. Well, generally, Star Trek films, are they're not rubbish. They, they're generally good. They vary in quality between themselves, but they're not usually rubbish films. No, and I don't I don't um, prescribe to this um, odd and even um, view of Trek, of Trek movies. Well, we, we like... Star Trek the motion picture, so that theory is ruined from the beginning for us. Exactly, yeah. So shall we listen to the trailer? Yeah, I was just about to suggest that very thing. From a relaxing vacation on Earth. Greetings, Captain. I do not think you realize the gravity of your situation. (laughs) To the most perilous reaches of space. Only one crew dare travel where no man has ever gone before. We'll need all the power you can muster, mister. On a desolate planet, a renegade Vulcan seeks ultimate knowledge. To find it, we'll need a starship. And he will stop at nothing to get it. I dreamt that a madman had taken over the Enterprise. (laughs) You look like you've just seen a ghost. Perhaps I have, Captain. Our destination the planet Shakari, Eden, at the center of the galaxy. The center of the galaxy can't be reached. If you ask me, and you haven't, 
I think this is a terrible idea. We're bound to bump into the Klingons. Remain on course. To Kirk. He's a fanatic to be fought. You know we'll never make it through the Great Barrier. I say that danger is an illusion. To the crew, he's a mystic to be followed. Cyborg has simply put us in touch with feelings that we've always been. I have to get back to the transporter. To Spock, he's the past he must confront. Shoot him! You know I'm right. Spock, my only concern is getting the ship back. And you're either with me or you're not. Put him in the brig with Captain Kirk. I'm a prisoner on my own ship. What are you standing around for? Do you not know a jailbreak when you see one? Mr. Scott, you're amazing. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Emergency channel open. A hostile force has taken control of our vessel. Put us on a direct course with the Great Barrier. Understood, Enterprise. We are dispatching a rescue ship immediately. Bird of prey bearing one, zero, five, mark two. Let me do something. Mr. Sulu, full ahead. Transfer power to warp drive. Warp speed now. The greatest enterprise of all is adventure. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Well, that tells you everything you need to know, doesn't it? Well, that tells you a lot about the comedy in the film. Oh, it's all there. I think every line is I, there. <laughs> I think so. Every visual gag is in there. It's an interesting trailer. There's also a lot of shots from previous Trek movies as well. Yes. I think that was probably because most of the effects weren't finished. Or, or they that, the... just didn't want people to see what the effects look like. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. That would yeah. make sense. Oh, well, we're going to go see what those effects look like right now. So we open with the Paramount logo. We have quite a foreboding sound. Howling and wind. We fade to white and then to a desert. Text says Nimbus 3 in the neutral zone, the planet of galactic peace. It doesn't look like a place you want to visit, right? I've had gardens that look like this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we see in slow motion a rider on a horse approaching, hazy in the shimmering heat. A disfigured man. Let's let's call him a marauder. A what? A marauder. All right, okay. He's, he's in tattered robes and he's manually drilling into the desert with an auger. He's the marauder with an auger. <laughs> Unlike what I was going to call it, which was Phil with the drill. Oh, Phil with the drill. I like that. <laughs> oh, I have to change everything now. <laughs> Perhaps Phil is looking for water. <laughs> he should have been on the call sheet, Phil with the drill. <laughs> so he's digging for water? I guess so. That's, that's it's, my it's opinion. It's very unclear. He's just digging holes into the desert. Maybe he just likes drilling holes. Well, he says he's got a field of holes. <clears throat> it's not even a field, though, is it? <laughs> Can you have a field if there's no grass, if it's just sand? Don't, don't, you know what you're doing? You're thinking about it. Don't think about it. Oh, I am. Right. Sorry. Um, well, you know, perhaps the marauder, or Phil, as we're now calling Phil. him, He's Phil. is looking for water because this is a dusty, desolate wasteland. In the distance, he sees the horse rider approaching and he drops his tool to pick up a weapon. Now, the look of this, it's very Mad Max, right? It's, it is. It's it all is. yellows and it, it's quite 
It's quite good, right? I'm happy at this point. <laughs> you sound like you're trying to convince me. It's good. It's good, right? You're happy, it's good. isn't it? Really, you're happy at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy. Yes. The sound <laughs> does not consist of music. It's just weird growls and roars. Mm-hmm. That's Shatner behind the camera. Just, just growling, growling and roaring. And roaring, yeah. <laughs> Must have been lunchtime. Phil loads his weapon, mm-hmm. and the figure approaches him. This man removes his mask and says. I thought weapons were banned on this planet. And you wouldn't kill me for a piece of ground full of empty holes. It's all I have, says Phil. Which technically isn't true because he has an auger and a gun. So he's already lying. Don't trust Phil. That's true. Yeah, well, his name's Phil. Yeah. Never trust a Phil. Why? You had a past experience of Phil's? Oh, don't go there. But Phil's been there. <laughs> Phil's been there. What are you trying to say? He's not been anywhere. No. <laughs> Has he not? Is that the He's problem? No. Is that why you don't trust him? To this day. So don't... He wouldn't do what you wanted him to do? Is yes. that what it is? Shut up. No. <laughs> so, you, know, you know, Shatner wanted Cyborg's horse to be a unicorn, but um, Gene Ronbury felt that he was a little too fantasy-like, not sci-fi enough. Oh, right. Okay. Although, if you, although if you look closely, the space horse still has a subdued horn. What's a subdued horn? He's got, he's got a little... Is that... He's, <laughs> he's, he's got a... <laughs> He's got a little horn on his head. I thought that was like, Held down. you know, when you uh, you're watching one of those videos and then a guy comes in, you suddenly got a subdued horn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know what you mean. So the man on the horse climbs off his steed and approaches. And then there's, there's something about him, something hypnotic. <laughs> As he talks to the guy, we hear the sound of a heartbeat increasing in volume. Phil starts to break down. The man asks him to share his pain with him and gain strength. Phil starts to cry and the guy holds his head to him. Where did you get this power? Oh, the power was within you, he replies. Just a second. What is Cybok's power? He's able to, for people to release the pain and face the life's darkness and be able to get over it and feel joy from the future that life could bring them. Cool, you fought your way through that one, didn't you? <laughs> Did you hear that was me? An effort, punching, <laughs> punching left and right with hooks and uppercuts <laughs> verbally. <laughs> I sent you right off script there, didn't I? I didn't know where you were. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, that's as good an, uh, an explanation as any. So, yeah. I mean, it gets it, worse better, later in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. Phil says. And I think we're the only people who are calling this guy Phil for the entire history of this film. Let's point that out. He's Phil so now. if people are watching this film and looking for Phil, he's not there. In 20 years' time, they'll be talking about Star Trek V and they'll be referring to this guy as Phil. Trust me. They'll just call it Star Trek Phil. Star- <laughs> Phil says, it's like a weight has been lifted from my heart. How can I repay you? By joining my quest for seeking that which man has always sought. The eternal answer. Why is Mrs. Brown's boy so popular? <laughs> Fuck knows. That's, that's the answer to that one. <laughs> I need a starship. Do you? Constantly. Always need a starship. Phil says, there are no starships on Nimbus 3. Look around, mate. It's full of desert, wind, <laughs> and shit. No starships. <laughs> he doesn't say that. 
He might as well, though. He, he might as well. Then I'll have to bring one here. He pulls back his hood to reveal that he's a Vulcan. And then he throws his head back and laughs. This is disquieting for two reasons. One, he's a Vulcan, and mm-hmm. they don't laugh because they don't show emotion. Mm-hmm. And two, nobody said anything funny. Quite frankly, Paul, he's the kind of listener we need. Yes, if there's any cybox out there, you know, tune in. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're the podcast t- t- for t- you. T- do you know how podcasts work? No, not really. What are you, from the 60s, <laughs> 50s? Adjust your wireless. You, you, you've got your wireless, you tune in, don't you? That's how it works. Yeah, it is, Paul. Yeah. Quite right. We're, we're, we're an internet internet radio, aren't we? Isn't that what, what we are? Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to carry on. Right. You, you just live in your own little world. I will. We cut to some simple credits. <laughs> of all the places to cut budget... You wouldn't think the credits would really cost that much, but clearly it was a way of doing it, right? Well, the way that that Star Trek V logo shakily moves into the centre of the screen is shocking, really. Yeah, it's like you would hear William Shatner go, duh, 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 in the distance. It's like someone's handheld, actually physically moving it into the screen with a shaky hand. It's a graphic. Yeah, maybe. How is it shaking? I don't get it. <laughs> Maybe he's drunk. Drunk graphic. Well, we've all been. Yeah. We've all been there. They're the worst kind of graphics. But th- this music is great, though, isn't it? This Jerry Goldsmith score. Yeah, it was great the first time I heard it. Was. It was. And the second it time was. I heard it. <laughs> you know, I, wa- I watched this with my wife, and she turned around to me and said, why are they using the theme tune to Star Trek Next Generation? And you're like, oh, it's the theme tune to Star Trek The Motion Picture speeded up. Something like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we open on Yosemite National Park, Earth, star date 8454.1. A figure is rock climbing. Credits continue as we see the man bathed in light, continuing to climb three style along the rock face. We close up on him and we see that it's Captain Kirk. Now, is there a sport that William Shatner is less physically suited for than rock climbing? <laughs> I mean, at this point in his life, he's uh, he's not the he's not well. He's 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 kind of a chunky uh, monkey, isn't he? He's not someone that needs to be defying gravity at this point. No, but you've got to say that only William Shatner would come up with the idea that his character should free climb a mountain. Yeah. Even though yeah. apparently William yeah. Shatner is afraid of heights. Oh, really? He is. He's he's terribly afraid of heights, apparently. Oh, so he's okay. conquering his fear via the medium of Star Trek. Proud of him. We see a campfire. Dr. McCoy is watching through binoculars. He seems to be some distance away because he's looking straight at us, so bear that in mind. Okay. And he's complaining about being a nervous wreck while he's watching Kirk. Mm-hmm. Kirk, high above, surveys the view. Spock appears. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation was actually filmed in a car park, wasn't it? Yes, because they'd already they'd filmed stuff as well, and mm. they looked at the dailies, and they turned out that there was a weird tree that made everything look like it was really low down, and the sunlight didn't work, so they had to reshoot everything anyway. But apparently, in in a couple of the shots where they're talking, you can actually see the peak of the mountain that he's climbing in the background. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't think uh, that one through, did they? Well. <laughs> 
Spock tells Kirk he's not going to break any climbing records. Spock is using jet boots and hovers alongside Kirk. He tells Kirk that he doesn't think he realises the gravity of his situation. Good line. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Kirk knocks his rocks off. He's not the first time for Kirk, though, is it? No, no. He actually knocks some rocks off. And then he slips and he falls screaming. I was just going to say, this is some great green screen work here, I think, where they're falling. I'm not even sure it's green screen. It's like yellow screen. It's terrible. <laughs> I like the one-handed even... Superman uh, pose that Spock does as well. Oh, yeah, because he's like he's flying down. <laughs> yes. Maybe that helps. Maybe that's how you operate the jet boots. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah, because Spock uses the jet boots to speed downwards and grabs Kirk just before he splats on the ground. He does. Hi, Bones. Mind if we drop in for dinner, says Kirk, who... Remember, he's saying this to McCoy, who isn't there, because remember, McCoy is watching him through binoculars from a distance away. <laughs> Who'd have thought a man of his age could move so fast? Okay, saw him falling. He's in, he's in shape. Got it, got it. That makes... Oh, that, that works then for me. Okay, fine, good, you know. good. <sighs> Why? <laughs> Back on number three, we see a bear, like the one from a certain other franchise we won't mention. Never. There's a woman tiger creature with three breasts dancing. Hey, I'd hang out in a bar with a three-breasted uh, cat woman. Could you? Oh, absolutely. And there's a billiard table filled with water for some reason. It's water pool. You never played water pool before? Not intentionally. <laughs> well, when you have an accident <laughs> yeah. in the pub. Yeah, a bit yeah. up in there. Yeah. That'll explain why the turkey was always covered in water. <laughs> walked into it. I can't deny it. Remember I can't, that? I can't that nightclub? Or, yeah, I can't confirm or deny that at all. It's not to do with me. It's always had that weird liquid on the floor. Strange. You said it was weird. but You knew what it was. You knew what it was. You just tried not to think about it. You, you, as I said, you know what you're doing? You're thinking about it. Don't think about it. Okay. A cloaked figure enters the bar. The bar tender signals for the person to go in the back. The figure is a woman, a Romulan, called Caitlin Dorr. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm, he's right. <laughs> David Warner's uh, reaction in a minute is a bit like that, yeah. She enters a room and finds Sinjin Talbot, a human, mm -hmm. Cord, a Klingon, and remember, Sinjin is Stringfellow Hawk's lost brother. <laughs> oh, sorry, no, he's a Federation representative for Nimbus. All Hall. right. That's right. Sorry, that yeah, a, yeah. Wrong, wrong show. That was polar, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Cord... Is a Klingon version of that. He's also a representative for. So they're, they're kind of like the, the the losers of each organization that they've been shipped off to this place, haven't they? I don't know whether it's in the script or whether David Warner went for it, but he's playing it like some kind of British colonial uh, stuck in some country he doesn't want he to is. be in. Like you, you would think like a kind of. I'm thinking like a, a more ragged Alec Guinness in a in one of those films, you know. A man in Havana kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah, I can see that completely. Yeah, yeah he's all greasy and and just yeah, just doesn't really care. You know, doesn't want to be there. Yeah, he's just drinking. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, perfect role for you. I mean, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I can picture you play this now. role. Yeah. I, actually, I think David Warner spent too much time on his role than what the actual part required. He did. Did Did you read that? Apparently, they spent a lot of money working on a self lighting cigarette for him that they never used. No, I didn't. Yes. Seriously, yeah, seriously, they they spent they spent a ton of money developing this self lighting futuristic cigarette, which actually worked, and they got it working, but then they never actually used it in any shot. Well, 
A, why did they do that? B, why didn't they use it? Oh, there, there's a lot of instances in this film that are very like that. Like the um, the, the, the three-breasted Catwoman, they developed um, makeup that wouldn't run in water. But it doesn't make any difference because you don't really see her when he throws her in the in the little yeah. thing anyway. So, yeah. yeah. And wouldn't it have been more interesting if he was just smoking old-style cigarettes? Absolutely, yeah. Which is kind of what you get the impression he's doing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Outside is uh, Vulcan, mm-hmm. who we saw earlier, but now we know his name. He's called Cybok, and he has managed to build up a band of armed followers, and he is approaching the city with them. It's not a big invasion force, is it? About 12 people, isn't it? <laughs> it's about 12 people, and they're yeah. shuffling to the city in what Shatner referred to as Cybok Shuffle, because <laughs> apparently the temperature was so hot... And everyone was so dehydrated that they were so tired and they couldn't move properly. Yeah, it looks that way. And did, yeah. did you read that um, to try and make it look like there were more people that he would get people to stand in different places and then shoot them in a particular way? He would shoot them? That's that's cruel and unusual <laughs> punishment. Hard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Who knew that? Back in the bar, the Romulan Dar says that 20 years ago, the three governments agreed to develop the planet together. Sinjin and this is exposition time, says that the people they brought there were the dregs of humanity and they took to fighting amongst themselves. They forbade weapons, but they just fashioned their own. Dare says, well, it looks like I've arrived in time. In time for what? (laughs) Yeah, it's never clear, is it? No. What were you planning on doing? I mean, she thinks she's locked out. Yeah, but she's at the ass end of the universe. And she's in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, a siren goes off because Cybok's people are attacking the city. Sinjin tries to send an emergency signal. Cord goes for booze. Paul? <laughs> are you a Klingon? Kapla! You are. I knew it all along. But Sinjin is stopped. Cybok steps in and tells them they are prisoners. Sinjin says, They are already prisoners on this worthless rock. What possible value could we be to you? Cybok says that this is the only place that has the free of you. Dad tells them that their governments will stop at nothing to free them. Cybok replies, that's what I'm counting on. And we cut to a shuttle approaching a star base. And we hear Scotty criticizing the new Enterprise as we see the starship in space dock. Let's see what she's got, said the captain. And then we find out, didn't we? What? what? Is he Welsh? <laughs> yeah, he's Welsh. <laughs> he's Welsh now, is he? All right, okay. Yeah, oh okay. yeah. Let's see what she's got. Read him Welshy instead of Scotty. (laughs) It's no worse than his. Let's see what she's got, said the captain. And then we found out, didn't we? He's under a console trying to repair it. Uhura steps out of a turbo lift onto the bridge. Mm -hmm. Scotty says that he thought she was on shore leave. Apparently they were supposed to go together, but Scotty can't leave the ship in this condition. When when, when did this Scotty Uhura come to be a thing? I, I don't know. I have this as a note as well. Like, okay. Was there ever this relationship in any previous film or the TV series? No, right? Not that I recall. No. Well, no. No, so it suddenly just appeared from nowhere. I think so, It's yeah. almost like it's the only characters they could think to get together. Unless you had Chekhov and Sulu. That's true. You could do that, I suppose. You hear and knew that's what he would say and hands him dinner, which looks like a bag of crisps. And quite frankly, looking at Scotty, crisps are the last thing he should be eating. <laughs> he looks disappointed that he doesn't get both bags, to be honest. Yeah, like, it's like, it's they're like, not both for me? <laughs> where, where are you going? Come back. 
<laughs> Red alert sound goes off, but it's it's a faulty sound. But Scotty tells them to turn it off. Turns out though the red alert is real. The Enterprise is needed. Scotty is astounded. The Enterprise isn't in working condition. There's only a skeleton crew aboard. But Starfleet tells them to recall key members of the crew. Mm-hmm. We cut to Sulu and Chekhov, who are lost. They were never this dumb, were they, back in in this show or any of the other movies. I think it says a lot about the way that Shatner saw the roles of the supporting cast in this movie. All the characters are really yeah. idiots in this film for some reason. Well, they're all the, to, to be foils for Captain Kirk, aren't they? In, in yeah. a lot of ways, I think. You hear a calls Sulu and Chekhov. They are to be collected from their prearranged location. But Chekhov tells Sulu not to tell them the last as he'll never live it down. They pretend they're in a storm and ask for directions. Uhura says, a scanner says, it's blue skies and sunny. Look, says Chekhov, the sun's come out. It's a miracle. Yeah. yeah. Laughing, Uhura says the secret is safe with her <laughs> and sends a shuttle to pick them up. And we cut to McCoy banging a dinner bell as he, Spock and Kirk are sitting around a campfire and McCoy has cooked beans. Spock samples the beans. There's an interesting taste that he can't identify. McCoy says it's a secret sauce. And no, Paul, <laughs> it's not the same secret sauce you used that time. <laughs> How do you know about that? Oh, it's been reported. <laughs> Kirk asks for some of that sauce and McCoy hands over a bottle. The secret sauce is whiskey. Now, with you, Paul, the beans would be the secret part. <laughs> you know, I was thinking bourbon and beans that's not a combination that will work for you is it oh no i mean kirk says bourbon and beans are an explosive combination <laughs> he's not wrong yeah that's putting it mildly isn't it oh <laughs> yeah yeah nuclear you'd have to get a new toilet whole new bathroom whole new apartment yeah whole new city <laughs> uh there's some banter between spock and mckay mckay gets serious and starts saying that human life is too precious to waste on crazy stunts maybe it didn't crush that macho mind of you kirk but you should have been killed back there kirk says it did cross his mind but even as he fell he knew he wouldn't die really well that's funny because you appear to be screaming quite loudly while you were falling <laughs> Well, you know, human nature is going to kick in, isn't it? All right. So he's like, I mean, you'd scream, uh, wouldn't you? Yeah, because I think I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I suppose even though if he thinks he's not going to die, then he's still going to scream. It still feels like screaming. Yeah. You're right. rushing at you at 100 miles an hour. You're going to scream, isn't it? Aren't you? I don't know. I don't buy it. This is one of the um, the scenes in the movie which are very reminiscent of the original series you know it's it's the three main characters bantering with each other and it's very well done yeah but i think it plays this up too much in the film you do yeah i think so i think like if this was an episode of a tv show where it was about this then that's fine but this is not an episode Mm -hmm. of a tv show this is a movie Mm. yeah I, i i can see that and and we'll talk about that at the end Mackay says, I thought he, indicated Spark, was the only one that was immortal. And this is a reference to Star Trek Three. Mm-hmm. Kirk explains what he means, that he knew because the two of them were with him. He always knew he'd die alone. Mackay says he'll call Valhalla and have them reserve a room for him. Mackay points out that they spend all their time getting on each other's nerves in a spaceship. And then when they have some free time, they spend it together. Other people have families. Kirk says, other people, not them. Although... 
It seems none of the Enterprise likes to spend time with their families. No, they'd rather be off uh, jaunting around space, wouldn't they? Well, no, Would... like Sulu and Chekhov are together, one of them Yuhiro's on the Enterprise, Scotty's on the Enterprise, so none of them are spending time with families. But somehow we find out that in uh, a couple of movies, I think it's Star Trek Generations, that Sulu found time to um, have a kid. Wow, didn't remember that. Nice, yeah. nice, nice recall. Yeah, because doesn't Kirk mention how did he find time to have a family? Again, do you know when the last time I watched Generations was? <laughs> when it came out? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so that, that kind of blows that all over the water anyway, doesn't it, later? I mean, not, not for this movie, because they didn't know that was coming when they wrote it. But Maybe it wasn't really his. Oh, what are you saying? I'm just saying maybe things are not happy in the uh, Sulu household. Well, you know, there, there, there could be problems along the way. Mm. Spock takes out a device and Kirk asks him what he is doing. Spock pulls out a fluffy substance and says he's preparing to toast marshmallows. Marshmallows, there you go, see? Told you. Told you it was a thing. In the film, yes. McCoy yeah. says, I'll be damned, where did you learn to do that? Spock says he consulted the computer for information on camping. And McCoy asks him, okay... So what do you do after you've toasted the marsh um, um, melons? Because he, he chokes on the word because they're not called marshmallows. No, it's because he's drunk. No, it's because they're not called marshmallows, Paul. That's the joke. <laughs> it's a subtle piece of acting that completely missed you by. Apparently so. <laughs> yeah. Apparently you've explained it to him. You know this, um, this marshmallow? Marshmallow? I'm going to say it. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to own it. This marshmallow dispenser was actually yeah. um, a piece of merchandise that was produced for the movie. You could buy this. What, that it actually dispenses marshmallows? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it didn't make them. You had to load oh. it up. Like so a, like you loaded them dispenser. up yeah. and then it just spat them out. It spat them out, so, out yeah. So it's just a bag of marshmallows, but expensive yeah. gadget. Yeah, you, 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 you stick them in the end and they come out the other end. What a fucking waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> but the Star Trek marshmallows. Okay. We'll see them in a minute, won't we, when uh, Uhura does a fan dance. <laughs> Star Trek marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. You should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, it's the funniest thing you've said in 56 podcasts, but you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> So we consume them. Yeah, after that, I believe we engage in a ritual known as a sing-along. Kirk thinks this is a great idea. They decide to do row, row your boat. And they explain how it works to Spock. And he fails to understand when he's supposed to start the song because he's trying to comprehend the words. And McCoy says, you don't need to understand the words, just enjoy the song. That's how you have a good time. Spock says, are we having a good time? <laughs> a phrase used by many of our listeners. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. McCoy replies, I liked him better before he died. It's a good line. It is, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they decide to call it a night. So they're in their sleeping bags. Spock says, Captain, life is not a dream. Go to sleep, he says. And then they say goodnight to each other like they're in the Waltons. Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure about this. You don't like that bit? No, it, it seems a bit, a little bit too much. Although I do like Kirk's reaction at the end when he says, oh, I just don't know, I don't know. He's exasperated, isn't he, by a whole... Yeah, but the reason it doesn't work is because there's only three of them. 
Spock says goodnight to Kirk, says goodnight to uh, Mackay. Mackay mm-hmm. says goodnight to Kirk, goodnight to Spock. Mm-hmm. Kirk says goodnight to Mackay, goodnight Spock, we're done. So it's not going to go on that long. There's only three of them. In Walton's, there's like seven of them. <laughs> probably more. I don't know how many there is, but there's loads of them. So that's why it goes on so long. Okay. So we cut to an old satellite spinning through space and a Klingon bird of prey on cloaks. Captain Clara is told about the device and he asks if it's hard to hit. Yes, most difficult is the reply. He asks for the weapons to be brought under his control and a scope lowers from the ceiling. We see a targeting device and he fires destroying it the special effects a paw <laughs> to say the least <laughs> i thought you were being very generous there by saying that really yeah the only <laughs> thing i can say is i like the the product like william shatner says that he wanted to give the film a gritty realistic look and i kind of can see that how everything's mm. dirty and mm-hmm. and broken and stuff i get that idea but yeah the special effects are awful you know the guy playing uh, captain claw was actually um uh, an engineer claw. captain, captain claw not captain claw claw <laughs> is a totally different character from a very different thing i think it's the hooded claw you're thinking of oh yeah, all the time no i yeah. I, I like to Stop refer to as claw okay yeah captain claw <laughs> claw 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 he, this actor was actually an engineer on the Enterprise in Star Trek Two. You know, I think Scotty pulled him out from under a descending uh, door. Scotty did what? Pulled oh, him out. Oh, pulled him out. Not off. Out. Okay. Well, so he's a spy in Star Trek. Could well be. Oh. He could well be one of those uh, rogue. Uh, you can't be a rogue spy, can you? No, not really. Unless you. Could. Well, you could be. You could be a spy that's not following your orders. There he is. He's a rogue spy. Rogue Klingon hmm. spy. Wouldn't that be good? They don't do it. Yeah. No. No. And he's not. He's not, no. He's just, just the same actor, just, which is common yeah. in Star Trek to have an actor playing different roles. It is. It happened a lot in a TV show, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Claire says, destroying space garbage is no test of a warrior's metal. He needs a target that can fight back. Then a message comes through that tells him about the hostages on Nimbus 3, that one of the hostages is a Klingon, a Terran, and a Romulan. A Terran? A Terran, yes. Terran? Terran, yes. Right. Or Terran. You can pronounce it how you want, but it should be pronounced Terran correctly. All right. A bit racist. But it's a Terran. All right. All right. I'm going to do it again just so I can avoid you. No, don't do insults. it again. Don't do it again. No. The one of the hostages is a Klingon, a Terran, and a Romulan. Yeah, done it again. <laughs> <laughs> See, stop me. You can't. <laughs> Claire is interested because it means the Federation will send a rescue ship of their own. He tells them to plot a cast to number three. He's always wanted to engage a Federation ship and then marry I bet he has. And live happily ever after, skipping <laughs> across the moons of Klingon. <laughs> he's, he's, got, he's got to take it out for a movie first, though, surely. Probably a Star Wars movie, though. Anything but this one. We cut to a shuttle landing next to Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Well, I... I say shuttle, it's just a, a, a POV shot from the shuttle and a camera lowering down and then a bright light. It's just a big a big uh, light shining down on them, isn't it? Yep. Yuhira gets out of the light. She explains that Scotty apologizes for the shuttlecraft, but the transporter beams are non-operational. You know, none of this is Shatner's fault, you know. It was all down to budget constrictions. Oh, there yeah, was supposed to be a shot yeah. of, of, of the shuttle landing there. 
I imagine in his in his mind this was uh, grandiose and fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We could all say that though, couldn't we? In your mind, this podcast was always going to be grandiose and fantastic. Had listeners. Yeah, and then and then we started working together, and that's you know, yeah, that was the end of that. <laughs> and then reality creeped in. <laughs> I wouldn't say it creeped. I would say it fell in heavily. Yeah, like the hand of death. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk asks why she didn't beep his communicator. Turns out he forgot to take it with him. Now, does this sound like Kirk to you? The ship's falling apart and he doesn't want to be contacted? This this doesn't fit for the character that I know Kirk no, to be. No, I, I suppose the only thing that you could argue is that he's an older Kirk now and maybe he's mellowed out a bit. And doesn't give a he shit. Doesn't, he doesn't give a shit anymore, <laughs> you know. Is that what you're saying? It's like, ah, fuck it, Enterprise is screwed. No one's calling me anymore. They've never done anything for me, have they? You know, the amount of times I've saved the galaxy and no one gives a shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, ah, I should be rich and famous by now, but still, I'm just a captain of a starship. I'm gonna go riser. I can't even afford to go to riser. I'm just gonna go to Earth. (laughs) Oh, that's a deep, deep, deep pull joke there for all the Star Trek fans listening. So it's almost like you're booking to get on someone else's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <I know. laughs> but it to me it doesn't feel right for someone who who loves the Enterprise so much who could put the hand against the mm-hmm. bulkhead of the mm-hmm. Enterprise and know exactly what it's feeling. It doesn't. I don't understand why he would just be like, yeah. The, the thing is, Shatner was so protective of his character of Kirk. I can't imagine that he would... I mean, this is his movie anyway. I can't imagine that he would be happy to do something that he didn't feel was organic to his character. Ah, to me, this is how Shatner feels about Star Trek, not how Kirk feels about the Enterprise. Like it's a throwaway kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And we'll talk about that when we talk about the... At the end, I think, when we talk about the, the way he perceives everyone else in Star Trek, apart from himself. Okay. Yeah. So he tells McCoy and Spock that it looks like shore leave has been cancelled. They pack up the trash and leave. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, they leave by just shining a bright light through the trees <laughs> as a shuttlecraft. He's <laughs> it, all right. It works. It does, it does the the job. job yeah. Yeah. We see the shuttlecraft leave the planet with black lines around it. <laughs> As the Star Trek music swells, we see the Enterprise in front of the moon. And she looks great. Even in a bad model shot, she still looks great. Okay. As the shuttle approaches, they stir up. Oh, come on, you agree with me. You know it looks great. Yes, I like the Enterprise. It's a a fantastic ship design. You want a cuddler. Especially especially this one. What? You want a cuddler? cuddler, wouldn't you? She's a sexy ship. No. A sexy ship. She is. She's got curves in all the right places. I'm telling you. Now I'm worrying about you. She's not the upside down duck that is the Enterprise D. Okay. She's sleek. She's 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 sexy. Oh come on, you you know you know you know. Okay, so top five starships of all science fiction shows. Okay, um, number five would be uh, the Galactica. Number okay. four would Star Galactica. Yeah. yeah, number four would be um, the Galactica Viper. It's not a starship, but okay, I'll let you have it. Right. I have fighters as well and okay. smaller okay. craft. Well, sp- well, do spaceships, spaceships. Okay, number three would be Star Destroyer. Yeah, 
It's a sexy ship. Yeah. Number two would be... It's a, it's, um, a, it's a trivial pursuit wedge, but all right. <laughs> Number two would be Sigmus from Black Hole. Gorgeous looking ship. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And number one would be the Enterprise um, Refit. Nothing beats that. Right. Yeah. No? Okay. And yours? Interesting. No, I'm not doing this. It's sad. <laughs> Spock tells them. The... <laughs> I get inside the Enterprise. And occasionally, an Enterprise model has been inside. <laughs> Hopefully not uh, saucer section. <laughs> and The cell section first. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta work it. Gotta lead up to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. As the shuttle approaches, they stare at it. All I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer by, says Kirk. Spock tells him the author of those words. McCoy asks if he's sure. Spock replies that he is well versed in the classics. Hmm. Then how come you don't know row row your boat? Yeah. The shuttle approaches the starship and Enterprise takes over landing control. It mm-hmm. lands in the bay. Scotty greets him and complains about the quality of the ship. Kirk says Scotty told him he'd have it operational in two weeks. I gave you three. What happened? I think you gave me too much time, Captain, he replies. Kirk tells him to carry on and Scotty starts telling somebody off in the background. McCoy laughs and says he doesn't think he's ever seen Scotty so happy. And they enter a turbo lift. You you think that they spent a lot of time building this um, shuttle deck set. We might see it again, don't you think? I think so, because yeah. it's an actual, real working, it is, yeah, life size mm-hmm. creation. It is. It looks pretty good. Yeah, that's where a lot of the money went, apparently. Ah, okay. The turbo lift asks him what level. Bridge, I hope, says Kirk. When they reach it, the lift door is stuck halfway open, and Kirk has to push his way out. He complains that Starfleet has some nerve sending him out in this condition. The thing that gets me about all this build up mm-hmm. like how broken down the enterprise is it doesn't actually play into the story in any way whatsoever other than the fact that the transporters don't work conveniently later right that's the only mm. thing right plus the fact you've got to say <laughs> what cowboys did they get in to build this ship i won't even want to be in space in it let no. alone travel anywhere no, no. kirk asks for the communication from starfleet to appear on the view screen the screen is hardly working Kirk asks for a little quiet from the bridge because people are hammering and moving things. And I spy a tabaret. A what? Now, a a tabaret seems to be the most used thing in science fiction. It is white. It is plastic. It has drawers on Mm -hmm. it. And it is used in the medical bay in Space 1999. Mm -hmm. It is used in the medical bay in Star Trek Discovery. And there is a guy carrying one on the bridge here in Star Trek V. Mm. It's an Italian-designed desk unit that people use, artists use it for keeping the paintbrushes in and things like that, and it has sliding doors. It just seems to be appearing everywhere. Is it because it looks futuristic? It looks futuristic. It was made in the 70s. Ah, right. <laughs> they, still make, they still make it now, but it's from the oh, 70s. Okay. No. Yeah. I did notice um, in the hangar deck earlier that we saw the uh, the two neon red flashing piece of equipment that turns up in a lot of movies. Is it the one from Star Trek 2? It is the one from Star Trek 2. Oh, nice. (laughs) I think we also saw it in Buck Rogers. I think we did, yes. I remember you Mm -hmm. mentioning it Yeah, at the time. The Admiral on the view screen comments on Kirk's informal clothing. His uniform jacket is open and across a T-shirt that says, Go climb a rock. It's kind of Kirkish. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Admiral apologizes for cancelling Charlie, but they have a dangerous situation on Nimbus 3. A terrorist force has captured the only settlement, and they've taken hostages. The Federation, Romulan, and Klingon consuls. Now, I know the Enterprise is not up to specs. Kirk points out that it's a disaster, there must be other ships. Oh, ships, yes, says the Admiral, but no experienced commanders. They need Jim Kirk. He's to proceed to Nimbus 3 and assess the situation, avoid confrontation, and get the hostages back. It doesn't really sound like something that needs an experienced captain. Wouldn't a negotiator be better? Possibly, but I think that this is uh, Shatner playing up to... Is it Shatner playing up to Kirk's ego, or is it Kirk playing up to Shatner's ego? I I can't actually know that it don't, really. So many meta levels. And it's it's actually Herb Bennett playing the um, the Starfleet yes. guy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm surprised he didn't get his credit card out and show the view screen. The card. <laughs> that, that would have made the gag in the press conference actually work. Yeah, yeah, it would. <laughs> Kirk signs out and tells the con to plot a course to Nimbus Three and that they'll have to sort out their problems along the way. Mm-hmm. McCoy says, "If you ask me, and you haven't, I think this is a bad idea. We're bound to bump into the Klingons." And they don't exactly like you. Kirk replies that the feeling is mutual and calls down to the engine room. I need all the power you can muster, mister. Oh. Scotty replies that they'll have all the power they will need to beat those Klingon devils, even if it's to get out and push. Slightly racist. Against Klingons yeah. or devils? Take your pick. It's just racist, isn't it? Okay. Kirk sits down and looks uncomfortable. He misses his old chair. It's Shatner's delivery that makes it work, though, isn't it? I think your love of Shatner gives him a lot of leeway <laughs> in this film. Oh, come on. You know he's good. You know he's good as Captain Kirk. I will point out a scene later where he is terrible. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. That's probably one that I've noted in my notes uh, that he's excellent. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. Fight. So we cut to a Klingon bird of prey. Captain Clatter is informed that the Enterprise has been dispatched to Nimbus 3. Okay, so I guess Klingon surveillance is better than the Federation's because the Klingons seem to know everything the Federation is doing, but the Federation is like, oh, we don't think the Klingons have been notified yet. They knew before the Enterprise. It's not surprising, though. I mean, they're making ships that don't work. That is true. Yeah, it's just a shambles, right? It's a shambles at this point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um... No relative of yours is in charge of this, right? <laughs> I'll just check him. I, I'd be the president of the Federation by this point. That's true, you would. Yeah, yeah. I would. Yeah. Says a lot about the Federation. Mm. And could, a lot I, about you. <laughs> I, could, I could run a, a, a massive uh, galaxy-wide conglomerate of uh, worlds. I could do that. Into the ground. I could, well, I, I, I said I could run it. I didn't say where I could run it. But you didn't say which direction, <laughs> yeah. right? That is true. So Claire, knowing this is Kirk's ship, realises if he could destroy it, he would be the greatest warrior in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. He orders maximum speed to Nimbus 3. Cut to a moving stairfield with Kirk's voiceover of a log, which breaks down. Why is the captain's log suddenly a huge brick? I'm pretty, yeah. sure, I'm pretty sure in the original series, all he used to do was talk into his uh, little monitor that he had in his quarters yeah it's almost like there's no consistency between star trek 
and then the people complaining about Star Trek Discovery not fitting in with the canon of original Star Trek are talking not no never mind couldn't be that yeah imagine that yeah yeah but Shatner was there he was there for all of it yeah it is weird that the uh, log has gone from a clear perspex disc to a giant mm. metal thing with buttons it seems to have a, a tape in it that pops out ah Tape is an interesting term. We'll come mm. to that in about three seconds. Okay. <laughs> Uhura tells him that they have the information he requested on the hostages. General Cord is known to Kirk as his military strategies are taught in Starfleet, but the general has fallen out of favour, and that's why he's on Nimbus 3. Kirk hopes that when he's put out to pasture, that he fares better than Cord. They view the hostage tape. <laughs> which is McCoy's words. He actually calls it a tape. Well, don't they call the in in the original series? They always used to call those discs that they put into the into the computer tapes as well, library tapes. Oh, so you're defending it now? No, you've, I'm just I'm just saying you've changed since five seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pointing out the uh, inconsistencies of Star Trek. You know. Yeah, it's a strange word to use. Why use tape? Just use video. Even video, though, seems a bit odd, doesn't well, it? Well, no, because it means visual. It's Latin for visual, so it's fine. The video shows Cybok saying that he has no desire to harm them. He's, he's lucky that Cybok could find a, a nice uh, dolly operator and a crane to uh, to film his hostage tape with, isn't it? Yeah, he brought a good camera. He found a good camera crew on Nimbus 3. He did, he did, yeah. Maybe that's where bad camera crews go. Maybe Phil hooked him up. Ah, Phil with the drill. Phil with the drill. You know, he, he knows a guy who knows a guy, you know. Oh, it wasn't a guy. He found Molly with the dolly. <laughs> oh, everyone knows Molly with the dolly. Yeah, she did the work for him. Yeah, yeah. She'll, she'll, she'll get you there. Mm -hmm. She'll get you close up. I bet she will. Not a long shot. <laughs> well, you say that. We close in on Spark. He brings up an image of Cybok on his monitor. Kirk notices this. You look like you've just seen a ghost, he says. Perhaps I have, responds Spock. Mm. Later, Spock is stood in the dark. Kirk and McCoy enter the room. McCoy puts the lights on. Kirk asks if he knows the Vulcan. Spock says it reminds me of somebody of my youth. A young student of a great intelligence, gifted, it was felt he would take his place among the great scholars, but the students rejected his logical upbringing and followed beliefs that were banned on Vulcan. He embraced the animal passions of their ancestors. He believed the key to self-knowledge was emotion, not logic. Imagine that, says Mackay, a passionate Vulcan. Spock continues, when the student encouraged others to follow him, he was banished from Vulcan never to return. Fascinating, says Kirk, and is then called to the bridge. Spock follows. Now, you know the shot of Spock standing in the window looking out at the stars? Yeah. It was supposed to be a, a, a shot that zoomed in onto the Enterprise. It started from uh, far away, zoomed in onto the Enterprise, and then through the window at Spock. Oh, like Discovery does every five seconds. Absolutely. But they couldn't do it because they didn't have the money or the special effects budget to do it. But there is actually a, um, a fan edit that you can actually see on YouTube where they complete that shot properly and it looks pretty good. Oh, I haven't seen that. I'm going to have to check this out yeah. after as well. Oh. It's, it's just another instance of um, 
it's it's such a shame that we lose a lot of stuff in this movie that could have been could have made it a lot more than what it is really yeah fascinating they're approaching nimbus 3 hailing frequencies are opened they receive a signal kirk says to just give them static Uhura pretends that need a boost of power scotty reports that transporters are not functioning spock informs them that a klingon bird of prey is approaching and will be in weapons range in 1.9 hours kirk says they'll have to rescue the hostages the old-fashioned way a shuttle heads down to the planet with Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Sulu, Uhura, and an assault team. Yeah, apparently they're, they're Starfleet Marines. Yeah, we've never really seen them before, right? Because but, Starfleet is not a military organization. Yeah, but the weird thing is that Gene Roddenberry apparently wanted Starfleet Marines in the original series, and he could never get, get them in. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you think that comes from... I mean, he was a military guy, wasn't he? He was in the Navy. Was he yeah. in the Navy? He was in the Navy, right? So, yes, I he think was he in was. the Navy. Yeah. Herth Bennett was Air Force and uh, Gene Ronderby was Navy, I yeah. think. So he, he always wanted to get Starfleet Marines into the show, but he could never work them in. Mm. So this was his opportunity to do it, I think. Okay. That seems fine. I mean, even if Starfleet isn't a military organization, you, you kind of have to have somebody who knows how to deal with these situations. I think that modern Star Trek has kind of retconned it into... into um, they say they're not a military organisation on the surface, if you know what I mean. But then they shoot you. But then they shoot you. And, I mean, they've got clandestine operations going on, haven't they, with Section oh, 31 yeah, and all that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. But that's, that's a weird thing, because Deep Space Nine did Section 31 in a classy kind of way, and then Discovery just does it in a stupid way. Yeah, I know, I know. But what I'm saying is that, that you can imagine that, that on the surface they would say, oh, yes, we're, a, we're, a, we're, we're an exploratory organization, but secretly underneath, the, you know, they're keeping the peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spock says they need to land some distance from the city so they won't be detected. The shuttle flies in. Yeah. Poor special effect. <laughs> Meanwhile, Chekhov, pretending to be the captain, contacts Cybok. Chekhov tells him he's in violation of the Romulan peace treaty and that he is to hand over the hostages or face the consequences. Cybok isn't impressed. What consequences do you have in mind? The shuttle lands in the darkness of night and the team gets out. Chekhov tells Cybok that a Klingon ship is on its way and they're likely to destroy the planet. Cybok says it's fortunate that there's a Federation starship here to protect them. He tells them to beam down and speak to him. Chekhov says he would be happy to beam down, but first we must have certain assurances. Do you think this is Chekhov being Kirk? Like, he's kind of copying everything he's seen and learned over all the time he's spent watching Kirk. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it... In, and it's actually quite a, a good little scene for uh, Walter Koenig as well, right? It is, because he doesn't get many. No, no. I mean, Walter Koenig's best roles are in Babylon 5. I, I just meant in this movie. Nobody oh, I mean, gets many, generally. do they? Really? No, no. We cut to Spock and Kirk at the top of a hill. They use binoculars to look at the city and realize it will take too long to get there on foot. Kirk sees some horses close to them, but there are armed people with them. This Let's... Let's be honest, it doesn't seem like a well-thought-out rescue plan. No, but then isn't Kirk 
the kind of guy that makes stuff up as he goes along. He's always been like that, really. No, I've always thought him a bit more intelligent than that. I've always dismissed the Star Trek Into Darkness Kirk as being a complete moron. <laughs> and I, then I, I'm not saying he's as bad as that. <laughs> actual Kirk is quite... It's like you don't get to be captain of a starship by being an idiot. But then this version is close to the Star Trek Into Darkness version of Kirk. It is, it is. I think it's more close to the William Shatner version of uh, what he wants Kirk to be, mm, which is okay. which is a version of William Shatner. I mean, he's, yeah. he's basically playing himself. But then this is kind of top-down, because the Admiral has clearly sent a broken starship out on a mission so with a captain. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I can take it in this movie more than I can take it in Into Darkness, though, I have to say. Oh, well, it, oh, God. If we ever, I mean, it's not in our remit for a podcast to do Into Darkness, but mm -hmm. if we did, I could spend four hours talking about that film. <laughs> and be quite angry. I could understand that, yeah. <laughs> Kirk says they need a distraction. We hear singing. Oh, we get a distraction, all right. And one of the tribes people looks up, silhouetted by the moon. We see a figure. <laughs> oh, a heavenly figure. A what? A heavily? Heavily? Heavenly. Oh, right, okay. You're ruining the moment, Paul. I'm sorry. Carry on. We see a heavenly figure doing a wondrous, almost mystical feather dance. So here's a question. Where does she get the feathers from? Um... Is there... Is there another crew member who happens to be an avian species and he's now sitting in the shuttle all bald and plucked? <laughs> he's I, like, I could take that, yeah. He's I like sitting there going, I never agreed to this shit. Oh, here it comes in naked. I, I, need, <laughs> I need to borrow your wings, mate. He's, what? She's <laughs> poof, 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 pulling them out. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> a heavenly figure yes. performing a feather dance. What's yeah. that? Damn, is she naked? That's three guys. They stare at her in the distance. <laughs> does he say? Does he say that? Or does he say, "Damn, is she naked"? Oh. No, he doesn't, Paul. All right, okay. More men see her. Do they? It's been a while since they've seen a woman. It's been it's been a lot longer since they've seen feathers. Let's face it, you'd be distracted by a fifty-year-old woman doing a, a naked fan dance, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I like feathers. I like 50... No. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's, that's young for you. <laughs> Do what you mean. Then the whole group starts to run up the hill towards her. They've got the horn all right. The unicorn horn from earlier. Yeah. One of them plays it. Yeah. As they reach the top, the Starfleet team appear with their guns drawn. Hello, boys. Did you hear that? I've always wanted to play to a captive audience. It's like she's <laughs> yeah, in the room. Yeah. For some reason, I I, uh, I can uh, do women better than men. <laughs> <laughs> really? You can do women better than men? All right. I can impersonate right. women better than men. Oh, all right. I'm glad you clarified that. Thank you. So there you go. That was that scene. <laughs> it was. What um, do you think of that scene? What do I think of that scene? What I did think, you think I... of it when you first saw it? Um... Well, 1989, I would have been what? I'd have been 15. 15-year-old mm -hmm. me would probably have been quite uh, erect at this point. Really? You've been stood up? I would. I would. I would be seat, standing up, 
in the middle of the aisle. Yes. Mm. Okay. All right. I mean, it's Uhura, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. She's got nice calves. There are baby cows? No, calves. Oh, I'm sorry. Calves. She's got nice calves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and she, you know, it's all right. I'd take it. I mean, uh, that... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're one of these guys in this desert and that appeared, you would yeah, it be makes like, sense. what the it hell? Yeah. It you're makes sense. She's, she's a handsome woman for her age. Also, there are no women on this planet, apparently. Apparently not, no, apart from the Romulan. Yeah, which is worrying for her. Yeah, she... she... <laughs> <laughs> she's genuinely attractive. She's no her, though. I mean, let's face it, if, if it was a, a toss-up, and I, yes, I did say toss-up, between a fan dance from the Romulan or her, which one would you choose? The Romulan? No, it's going to be her, isn't it? No, it's the Romulan. No, it's Uhura. Call yourself a Star Trek fan. No, I call myself a heterosexual <laughs> male. <laughs> At least it say the Klingon. Oh, I don't know, though. <laughs> Big fat Klingon doing a fan dance. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, now you've changed the picture completely. <laughs> now I have to think about it. <laughs> I could act it out for you. Big, you are a fat Klingon. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That was what you said. No, I just, I, 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 you know, I can act. Yeah, you've put me off. <laughs> That's all right. Then. Yeah. The rescue team approached the city on horseback. Now, I guess horses are included because William Shatner loves horses. I think they are. I, I did think it was funny how Spock seems to find it difficult to ride a horse. You think Lennon Nimoy is not happy about horses? No, no, I just think it's 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 an amusing moment because Spock knows everything, doesn't he? And But right. yeah, he's, he's uncomfortable riding a horse. I thought that was quite yeah. amusing. He's probably not come up that often, right? In yeah, the, exactly, uh, exactly. 24th century. Is we in the 24th century? 23rd century. 24th 23rd? century. 24th century is TNG. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's so sad. It's embarrassing <laughs> to be sat opposite you. You said it. I'm going to point it out. Everyone still, else would be still. listening to this going, oh, he's still. wrong, he's completely wrong. Yeah, it's still embarrassing. Uh, you say that, but... I, I do. <laughs> Agard tells his men to open the gate because it's the lookout party. Now, wouldn't you be suspicious because your lookout party is supposed to be out looking, <laughs> not coming back? I mean, the clue is in the name, right? I suppose they've got to come back at some point, though, haven't they? At a prearranged time, I would think. Maybe they timed it right so it's tea time. Oh, that was convenient. Okay, yeah. all right. The gate opens, and as they enter, Kirk yells that Federation shoulders, shoulders, Federation shoulders, herbs, legs, and Sh- noses are right behind them. I thought he didn't get the part. <laughs> the gate opens, and as they enter, Kirk yells that Federation soldiers are right behind them. Close the gate. Finally. The guard gets suspicious as Spock scans for relevant life forms. Spock detects the hostages in a building and Kirk calls for a strike team. Why why didn't they just send the strike team in first? Uh, I guess I guess the strike team is, you know, just Uhura. Oh, she's a strike team, alright. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. striking. I did like the line where um, um Occasionally I don't want to work. I guess I'm on the strike team too. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I, I did like the line where um, Kirk pressures Spock into finding something, and he says, hold your horse, Captain. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, that is a good line. That is yeah. a good There's line. A, there is a, a lot of good lines in this film, but they are negative to the characters that they portray. I can see what you mean. The, 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 it's it's you played for laughs a lot of the time to, yeah. to the detriment of the character. Yeah. Exactly. Now, this suspicious guard shines a light on them and realizes it's not the lookout party. Kirk's team comes under attack and an explosion occurs. Cybok hears it. Chekhov tells him to surrender. You're under attack by superior Federation forces. Cybok says, do you realize what you've done? It wasn't bloodshed I wanted. And he goes off to see what's happening. Outside, a fight has broken out between the Federation and Cybok's men. Kirk appears to hug one of them for a second <laughs> and then throws him. It's a very Shatner-esque fight scene, isn't it? Yeah, very. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Spock mind melds with a horse. I thought he gave it. it a, I, I thought he gave it a Vulcan nerve pinch. Ah, okay, a Vulcan nerve pinch. I'll go mm -hmm. with that. That makes more sense. Mm -hmm. The gang put together a machine gun. Kirk calls Ahura to come and get them. Now Kirk enters a bar. He is mm -hmm. growling and is jumped by the three-breasted tiger woman we saw <laughs> earlier. Oh, we could but wish. <laughs> we could but wish. <laughs> What is it that you like? The fact that she's a tiger woman, that she's got three breasts. Um, I'll take your take your pick, really. You know. Okay. Right. Don't you like no. cat cat women? Something Generally. about something about cat a, a woman as a cat. It's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I've never really thought about it before. And... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you, you know. Um... Don't you think? No, no, I have never had this thought in my life. I think you're the only person who had. I'm sure. I'm sure if you looked hard enough on the internet, there'd be. Uh... Oh, I'm sure if I looked hard enough on the internet, I'd find <laughs> everything about anything, but it doesn't make it right. No, it's just cat women. Cat women are interesting. I think Andrew Lloyd Webber is the only person who has a cat thing. Well, there you go. You see, and he's he's a sir. Yeah. I could be knighted. Oh, you could be. Yes. That's yes. all it took. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Kirk throws her into the water pool table and she drowns in the uh, three inches of water. You say she drowns? As you know, she drowns. Well, what happens to her? She just doesn't like being thrown? Well, you say thrown. I, I think she takes offence to being winched up on the wires that she's uh, attached to. Right, and then it cuts to, and then if you look, William Shatner's just got his hands in the air. <laughs> like he just, just doesn't care. <laughs> Spock enters. The hostages appear. Thank God, says Kirk. Which is it. Weird, because there are no gods in Star Trek, but okay. Well, there are, but he usually disproves them, doesn't he? That's true. So and maybe the expression still exists. Yeah, and he'll do that later as well, won't he? Yeah. But then the Romulan ambassador pulls out a gun, so does Cord, and Sinjin says, Would you mind handing over your weapons? Kirk stares at them. And we cut to Cybok, congratulating his men from the back of the shuttle. Mm -hmm. Kirk and his team are brought out while the crowds jeer them. They are now prisoners, and Yuhura has been captured somehow. With her clothes on. Oh yeah, she put her clothes back on. Oh, well yeah, I'm just saying she's got her clothes on. Yeah, I didn't think you need to mention that, really, but okay. Yeah, but the last time we saw her, she didn't have clothes on. You think she just went back to her shuttle and just kept the feathers? The the, the poor crewman that's sitting there in the back, bald, plucked, <laughs> is just like, uh, can I have those back? And she's like, why? You can't re-pluck them. 
stick them back on. Yeah, it's not the same. (laughs) (laughs) Cyborg recognizes Spock and walks over to him. Cyborg reaches out to him, but Spock steps back. Kirk watches them. Cyborg says, after all these years, you finally caught up with me. For a second, Spock says nothing. Then he says, you're under arrest for 17 violations of the neutral zone treaty. The silence for a second, then everybody laughs. Spock, you developed a sense of humor after all, says Cyborg. Spock wasn't trying to be amusing until Cyborg that he should surrender. Cyborg says he can't surrender now as he's not through violating the neutral zone treaty. He tells him that he's going to steal something big, a starship. Kirk replies, you staged all this to get your hands on my ship? Cyborg, realising now that Chekhov wasn't the captain... Wouldn't Cyborg by now know that Kirk was captain of the Enterprise? Because he's quite famous, isn't he? I mean, he's saved the universe about a billion times. And so the, you think his the face would be recognisable? Yeah, yeah, the Klingons know who he is. And, and wouldn't the Enterprise go hand-in-hand hand with Captain Kirk at this point? Well, this is kind of depends on what Cyborg has been up to, because why is he on Nimbus 3? Because he... He's come up with a plan to get the Enterprise to come here. Wouldn't it be easier to go to somewhere where there's a starship? Yeah, yeah, but you know, he's 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 playing the long game. He's playing the long game. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Yeah, but okay, Cybok is influenced by these visions, so mm. maybe Cybok is not totally tuned into what's happening in the universe. It's a big friggin' universe. Let's be honest. Yeah, but I mean, the whole thing with with Kirk and the Enterprise has been going on for about what at this point, twenty years. Right, right. You're telling me in the whole time of twenty years, and he's not kept tabs on his half brother, all the stuff he's been involved in, saving the universe. Maybe it's like me and the Kardashians. I have no idea what one of them looks like. But you know who they are. Yeah, but I don't know what they look like. Right. Okay. I don't know what they do. Okay. So, so maybe like Kirk is like that. Someone says, oh, it's James D. Kirk, and Cyborg's like, yeah, I've heard that, but I've not got a clue what he does. Oh, he's the dude with the whales. Yeah, he's that, that guy. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, okay. I just thought it was strange, but... You, yeah, you... James T. Kirk is the Kardashian of the Federation. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Well, he has got a big ass, so... But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Cyborg realizes that Chekhov wasn't the captain. He tells Spock that he's been given a second chance to join him. Spock refuses. Mm-hmm. Cyborg says then he'll have to take the ship without his help. We cut to the Enterprise. Scotty reports that the shuttle is on its way and that the Klingons are closing in. Mm-hmm. In the Klingon ship, they are estimating their attack range and they engage the cloaking device. Did, did you hear the... Um... The war machine sound effect from the original War of the Worlds in the background, on for some reason, on the Klingon ship. No, I didn't. You know the that one. Yeah. So it's exactly that... like that, actually. <laughs> I did a perfect, really? a perfect um, approximation of it. All right. So War of the Worlds is a Paramount Pictures mm-hmm. film, so maybe it's a Paramount Studios effect. Well, there right. you go then. I didn't hear it myself, but... It's definitely there. Scotty reports they've lost tracking of the Klingons. Chekhov orders them to raise shields. Scotty reminds him about the approaching shuttle, but Chekhov still orders the shields to be raised, and Scotty does it. Do you think just 
Sharkov is just enjoying being a captain for a change. Yeah, you'd fuck around with Kirk, wouldn't you? Yeah, he's like, oh, put the shields up. Fuck him. Yeah, exactly. We see the shuttle approach the Enterprise. Now, Sinjin explains that once they've taken the ship, they'll bring up the rest of the followers. Although it seems weird that he's got these lines, but I guess maybe he needed lines at he's that got, He's got nothing to do. You've got right. to give him something, haven't you? It's David Warner. You're not going to... You're not going to cast David Warner and not at least give him something to do, are you? I guess, yeah. The Klingons are out there, mentions Kirk. Yeah, they're way out there. They're like, freaky, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, We'll be lucky to get back to the ship ourselves. Chekhov contacts the shuttle, tells them that they are red alert and that they should find safe harbor until situation's secure. Cybok tells them not to reply and to remain on course. Kirk tells them that in order for the shuttle to land, the Enterprise must lower its shields and activate the tractor beam. To do that will take too long and the Enterprise will be vulnerable to attack from the Klingons. He asks Cord to tell him. Cord mm-hmm. concurs that if the Klingons are cloaked, they intend to strike. Cybok insists that they cannot turn back. Kirk pleads with him to let them do something. Yeah, his actual word is, you must allow us to act. It's uh, the, the surely the irony mustn't have been lost on uh, a lot of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah they're like what you mean overact? <laughs> we can do that. They've been doing that for about thirty years at this point, haven't they? Yeah. Cybok mm. agrees to let them do what they must, but no more. Kirk contacts the Enterprise. The Klingons pick this up and realize that Kirk is on the shuttle, on alter course to attack it. Kirk tells the Enterprise that they understand the situation but are unable to return to the planet. Stand by to execute emergency landing plan B. Spock looks at McCoy and mouths the words, Plan B? In the Enterprise, Chekhov is confused. What emergency landing plan B? I don't have a clue, responds Scotty. Kirk continues, B as in barricade. He can't be serious, says Scotty. It's great delivery from Shatner. He, he makes it work, I think. Oh, you love this <laughs> Why? Why? Oh, hang on. Why is it whenever I like an actor, I always want I I I want to to kiss them. <laughs> what? Jeremy, <laughs> hold on. Let's just play that sentence back again. Why is it when you like an actor, you want to kiss them? <laughs> That's what you just said, right? No, but you said it as a statement. I asked it as a question. I you don't make know. It, you make it sound why, like I why, want to hold kiss on. them. Oh, no, that's not what you said. You said, why when you like an actor do no. you want to kiss them? No. Don't know, Paul. Tell me, why is it when you like an actor you want to kiss them? Whenever I, I praise an actor, suddenly I want to kiss them in question. your mind. No, because you're praising Shatner. But it's Shatner. Oh, come on. We, you love a bit of Shatner. Yeah, but you'd love a lot of Shatner. There's a lot of him. Yeah. Yeah, especially these days. Hmm. Although, although I didn't get to see him at uh, at Comic Con, but that's another story. But we'll, oh, we'll... that's right, because he uh, saw you coming and went. Uh, I'm tired. I can't do any more. Yeah, he ran away. Well, I say ran, but you know. I didn't run. Was he in that vehicle that he uses? I didn't see the vehicle, but does okay. mean he wasn't there. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, he he avoided me. I felt bad for you that day. Did you? Yeah, I, I did. I, I was upset. Imagine you were. But then again, 
maybe I, I would have been disappointed if I met him. So that's true. You've always got your imagination. Uh, yeah, I, I can I can picture him as Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. Forever. Yeah. That's what yeah. he'll always be. We see the shuttle approach the Enterprise. What are you doing? asks Cybok. In order to lower and raise the shields as quickly as possible, we're going to forego the tractor beam and fly her in manually. Manually, mutters McCoy, who, let's let's just restate, is the doctor, so wouldn't know anything about landing procedures anyway. Oh, I don't know. He's He's been on the ship now for a, a long time. He did a five-year mission with them, so he's probably picked up a bit. That is true. I stand corrected. How often have you done this, inquires Cybok. Actually, it's my first attempt, responds Suley. Another good line. Yeah. Everybody looks unhappy, even Kirk. Mm-hmm. He orders Scotty to open the bay doors. And I'm not sure how Scotty worked out what the plan is from the word barricade, though. But maybe barricades are only used when manually landing a shuttle in the bay. I don't know. Maybe. And maybe this is something that um, has cropped up before. In a Klingon ship, they take aim at the shuttle. Kla orders his ship to stand by to decloak for firing. Lower shields, orders Kirk. The shields are dropped. The bird of prey on cloaks. Sulu hits what appears to be a turbo thrust button. You never know when you might need it. The shuttle crashes into the landing bay. Everybody is thrown around. Annette opens up. Ah, good old Annette. And she stops the shuttle from smashing through the wall. I like it, it's good. Scotty <laughs> says, they're in. I bet he does, yes. The Klingons switch to target the Enterprise. Warp speed now, orders Chekhov. The Klingons open fire and miss because the Enterprise has warped away. Kla orders the Enterprise to be tracked because apparently you can track a ship in warp speed now. Apparently you can, yes. Mm. It, it, it's an amazing effect when the ship goes to warp, isn't it? <laughs> no. Really, Paul? I think you're being very generous or sarcastic. <laughs> it it, it kind of looks like a still shot that's just been moved slightly to the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, as well, um, I do think that this sequence, it's a good sequence, but it could have been directed better. Oh, you think Shatner poorly directed at this point? You're a hero. Actually, has, no, uh, I'll take that back. I'll take it back. Oh, no, no, because, yeah, we, no. we don't want to, no. Not it could have been edited better. Hmm. Okay. I so think. it's the editor's fault. It's the editor's directors. fault. Yes. Okay. It robs it of any um, tension, I think. Back in the shuttle, everybody has been uh, thrown around. Some are knocked out. Cybok becomes conscious, just as Kirk does. You know, back in the day when Kirk wakes up with a a, a bloodied lip, he would have also had a a, a massive tear in his shirt as well. But you can't do that anymore because, you know, it, would have <laughs> it wouldn't have worked, would it, at this point in Kirk's, uh, in Kirk's life. They both see the gun laying on the floor and they reach to grab it at the same time. But, oh, Cybok is faster and points the gun at him. He tells Kirk that they must change course. Kirk says he'll take Cybok to the bridge. Kirk opens the door of the shuttle and they step out. But Kirk grabs Cybok and they struggle. Cybok throws him against the shuttle. Kirk manages to knock the gun out of Cybok's hands and it slides along the deck. Cybok starts to choke Kirk. The gun has slid 
to the feet of Spock. Pick it up, grunts Kirk. Cybok turns as he Spock pick up the weapon. Spock tells him to surrender. Cybok refuses and walks to Spock until the gun barrel is pressed against his chest. You must kill me, he says. Shoot him! Screams Kirk. <laughs> Come on! Oh, sorry. <laughs> Cybok and Spock stare at each other as Cybok grabs the gun from him. Kirk is devastated. Yeah. For a moment, Cybok says, I thought you might actually do it. So Cybok orders Kirk and McCoy taken to the to the uh, brig, but he wants Spock to come with him to the bridge. Um, but Spock refuses, and he wants to be taken away with the, his shipmates. Mm-hmm. Shipmates, I said. Yeah, not shipmates. <laughs> We've all got those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. You know I'm right, Cybok tells him. Oh, I thought you were talking about shipmates then for a second. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. We just discussed it. <laughs> uh, Spock goes to his friends just before being led away. Kirk turns his back on him with a little bit of disgust, I think. Yeah. I think it doesn't go anywhere, does it? No, it doesn't. They no. don't really play it out. No, because they switch to comedy. They switch to comedy. Yeah. So we cut to Uhura and Sulu as they emerge from the, sh- from the shuttle. And um, as a heartbeat is heard over the soundtrack, Cybot goes into his uh, secret pain routine. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is how we know that they've been converted. Well, this is one of my sort of main issues with the plot. The fact that these people turn to Cybot's core so easily. Don't you think the original series cast, after being with them for so long, working together for so long, would they really turn so quickly? I agree with you, especially because later we see that it doesn't work with Spock or Mackay. Yeah, exactly. So that, that again, goes back to my the, the whole thing that I think about the fact that this script shows how little regard Shatner has for the supporting characters. It's very centred on Kirk, Spock and McCoy, and everyone else is an idiot, basically. And, the, and there's a massive example of that coming up in a minute. Okay. <laughs> He's laughing because he knows what's coming. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so does everyone else. Um, so taken to the brig, Kirk um, accuses Spock of betraying the ship. But Spock explains that he couldn't kill Cyro because apparently he's his half-brother. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. You know why? Because it's never been mentioned before. Yeah, but if you're going to get upset about that, 30 years later, you're going to get upset a lot more. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And apparently he's, he's got other members of his family. And did you know this is the first time a toilet is featured in Star Trek? It is because Kirk slaps the uh, side of the wall and a bog comes out, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which apparently you're not allowed to use in space, Doc. That's a nice touch that you put that on there. Well, you didn't put it on there. No, I didn't do it. <laughs> the filmmakers put it on there. Yes. <laughs> So Spock has a, a brother that uh, he never mentioned. And half brother. Half brother, yeah, but he's still a brother. Yeah. Um, on the bridge, Uhura and Sulu try to reassure Chekhov 
that everything's going to be okay. And they ask to lay in a new course. Uh, Cyborg appears and um, he mind fucks Chekhov. He does. He says, tell me your secret pain. And I was like, oh, I do, I, I do a podcast with an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Chekhov does a podcast. Yeah, he does, apparently. Oh, right, yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's got to be what you're referring to, right? Of course, Paul. Yeah. Okay, of yeah. course. Okay. Yeah, all right. Good. Wink to camera. No one can see that. No. Oh, but, but you I said, said it. it. You said yeah. it. Like, <laughs> that's okay. why I said it. <laughs> Jeez. Right. So back in the brig, Kirk is standing on Spock's shoulders, trying to uh, mess around with the wires and pipes above them, trying to find a way out of the brig. Unwise, says Spock, before Kirk gets a shot of electricity, sending him tumbling to the floor. And it should be mentioned at this point that um, Shatner's still pretty spry for his age, isn't he? Because he does this himself. He does, but... Oh, yeah, it looks very staged. Yeah, and I and I feel that it was designed to make it look like William Shatner was, you know, it was like, oh, look, he can do these things. Like, he's, let me do it, let me do it, let me do it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll do it. Just just roll and... He does it a lot in uh, T.J. Hooker, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, yeah. Mm. We'll, we'll, we'll have to talk about that one day, won't we? Oh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. But he's still a very physical actor, even at this age, I think. Yes. It's a new brig, says Spock, explaining that they tested it on the most resourceful person that they could find. This person, says Kirk, didn't happen to have pointed ears and an unerring capacity for getting his shipmates into trouble, did he? He did have pointed ears, says Spock. That's Savick. She was terrible. <laughs> Oh, that's you. You passed the buck. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Pass the spark. Pass the spark. It's a very good moment, though, between them, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's a very yeah. Star Trek-y moment, I think. I don't have any problems with these moments. I just think there's too many of them and too. it's just too much. Well, the whole film centred around them, isn't it? Yeah. If, if this was an episode... I see what you mean about an episode, though. Yeah. yeah. Not what you'd expect in a major motion picture. No. But then again... Star Trek Four is not a million miles away from this, is it? It's something about Star Trek Four where it works, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work in Star Trek Five. It's like the Marshmallow Man in Ghostbusters and the Statue of Liberty in Ghostbusters Two. One of them works, one of them doesn't. Mm-hmm. I-, I would say the Marshmallow Man in uh, Ghostbusters works. But can you explain why they don't work? It could just be, you know, the fact that Leonard Nimoy, as a director, knows when to reel it in and Shatner doesn't. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It could be inexperience or, or a lack of natural um, Beauty? intuition oh. intuition okay. of when to pull it back and when to let it go. Right. I think. Like me with a third. <laughs> if you must. Yes. <laughs> no, no. No, no, that's the point. I know when not to must. <laughs> I know when to hold it back. That wasn't my experience. Like <laughs> an elevator? Hold it back. <laughs> so we cut to Cybok addressing the ship through the intercom, and he tells them that uh, his plan is to find heaven, God, yeah. etc., all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a very wordy bridge announcement. Do you think the crew would be like, oh, 
There's a lot of talking in this announcement today. <laughs> Usually, he just says red alert or some sort of shit, but he's going on a bit. Yeah, pretty much. Um, also, wouldn't the crew be suspicious that a completely different person is doing bridge announcements? Wouldn't they be like, hold on, something's not right? Well, this is the whole thing with this with this movie. Has Cyborg taken over the entire crew? Did he go from person to person? Tell me... Every single one go, you've got a secret pain. Yeah. Share it with me. <laughs> yeah. How did he get them all on the side? Maybe it's like, you know when you work for a large corporation and your top people change, but you don't really give a shit. And it doesn't make no difference to you. So you'll do whatever they tell you to do. Yeah, it's like uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know. The king changes, but doesn't affect the poor peasant. How do you know the king? He's the one that covered in shit. That's all you know. So maybe yeah, that makes sense. That's yeah, how I a starship we... works. Yeah, that makes sense. I can. Yeah, yeah. That that yeah. you you just explained Star Trek Five to me. <laughs> I'm glad That's about good. that. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. It took thirty years, but I'm finally I'm finally okay with it. That's yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> so he explains to the crew that um, they have to travel to the center of the galaxy, which lies behind the energy field called the Great Barrier. And they're all like, yeah, okay. Yeah, just go along with it. Yeah. As you say, no. I've still got to get up tomorrow. I've got to reunify the neutron cars like I do every day. And then I do that for eight hours, and then I go to bed. As the who said Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Exactly. Yeah. But Kirk says that it's impossible to breach the Great Barrier. No ship has ever been into the barrier and no probe has ever returned. Well, you know, the thing is, age must be affecting his memory because I'm pretty sure that they did this twice in the original series. Oh, can you tell me when? Yes, I can. <laughs> I thought you might, funnily enough. <laughs> well... Were no man has gone before. They breached the Great Barrier, and uh, Gary Lockwood's character, mm-hmm. Mitchell, gets uh, yep. ESP powers. Yep. Yep. And Extra strong personality. That's the one. That's and, the, and then there's a second season episode where um, they the Enterprise gets taken over by these non-corporeal beings who can turn people to salt. And they, they kidnap the ship and take them to... Um, into the Great Barrier. Yeah. Can, can you smell that? It smells like research. <laughs> it's not research. I knew it. I knew it. Did you? I did, yeah. yeah. So so Kirk's got a sharp memory. That's what you say. He has. And it gets worse later. Okay. Yeah. So Kirk then demands to know if Spock is either with him or not. I'm here, Captain replies Spock, which Kirk remarks is a little vague. Yeah, it's not an answer, is it? It's not, no. Suddenly, Morse code is heard being tapped through the walls. Mm. The Morse is pretty rusty, but they realise that the message is, stand back. The wall explodes. It's Mr. Scott. Do you not know a jailbreak when you see one? He says. Oh, nicely done. Yeah, I, yeah, that was very close, wasn't it? You've, yeah, you've practised that. I have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew that. So Cyborg goes to the brig to confront them, and he finds that they've gone. They raise the alarm. So this is where we get to the point where... Um, oh, here we go. 
<laughs> Walking through the ship, Scott, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Scott tells them how to find the emergency communication station on a deck above them. But yep. uh, the, the lifts are out and that they'll have yep. to climb. You're yep. amazing, says Kirk. Mm-hmm. Nothing amazing about it, says Scotty. Yep. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Before walking into a bulkhead and knocking himself out. Yeah. It's a funny moment, but I do think it's another illustration of how little regard Shatner has for everyone else in this film. Yeah, I also think it's a combination of things. As a kid, by the way, I thought it was hilarious. Absolutely. And it's still funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also think it's it's just a really bad script requirement because they need Scotty to be knocked out at this point so that he can't be involved mm-hmm. it's true. later. So they need him to do that. But mm-hmm. it's they could have just have him captured at this point. If they wanted some kind of comedy here, it would have been funnier if he'd said, oh, I know this ship like the back of my hand. And then he'd walked off screen left. Mm-hmm. And then you'd seen him walk back screen right mm-hmm. as if he'd gone the wrong direction. Because that had been like, oh, that's funny, but also it's not like impossible because he just went the wrong direction. Yeah, but he, even that is just reducing Scotty to a punchline, isn't it? I guess so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. No. So reaching the turbo shaft. Yes, I said turbo shaft. They begin to climb, but Spock slips away into another room. Right. I prefer Jeffrey's tube. <laughs> so I've heard. So in the corridor, Sulu and some guards find the unconscious Scotty. And Sulu turns to uh, he turns to the weediest looking bloke and says, take care of Mr. Scott before just leaving him to it. I mean, he's not... How's he getting him to sickbay? He's massive. <laughs> yeah, but they, they've got the floating stretchers. They haven't got them with them. No, but he, he, he just goes off and gets one. But he kind of looks at him, though, doesn't he? And <laughs> prods him a bit. Like... Or maybe he just drags him. It's like 17 <laughs> hours later. Cuts into the movie and he's still dragging him. It's, yeah, he's like, it's a, it's a stinger scene at the end of the film. After the yeah, he's just, he's just like still like pulling him. He's like, where am I? <laughs> oh, you're at uh, quadrant 15, section 2. You need to make a left. <laughs> okay. Just pulling him. Pump your legs. His legs? Scotty's? Yeah, How's that help? He might move easier. In C- you know. case he gets a blood clot or something. He's <laughs> right. not flying. Yeah, but, you know. Well, it's Scotty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything's possible. So Kirk and McCoy are, uh, are start to climb up the shaft. But McCoy is struggling a little bit because he's older than everyone else. Oh, that's a long way, too. It is You'd long. be struggling. I'd be struggling after the first couple of rungs. <laughs> You'd look at it and go, nah, I'll just get captured. <laughs> it's got to be easier, really. Yeah, I'll be brainwashed. Like, I don't mind. Yeah. Easier life, right? Exactly, exactly. Face your pain. I haven't got any pain. Really? Let's talk about this. Uh, no. So Kurt suddenly realises Spock is missing, when suddenly Spock, in his rocket boots, the rocket boots from earlier in the movie, mm-hmm. lowers himself down beside them. So, uh, how did Spock get yeah, above, above them? them. Yes. Yeah, without them noticing. Yes. Mm. Possible. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. You know what I think happened? Go on. Bollocks. That's what happened. <laughs> Spock's bollocks. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what happened. Okay. So Kirk and McCoy climb into Spock's arms. Mm-hmm. But their combined weight causes them to sink. Must be all those marshmallows, says McCoy. Yeah, 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 pies. Are you sure it's not just Shatner's gut? Yeah, also, it just doesn't look very realistic. No, it looks like they're all on wires. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and also, have you ever seen three people cling to each other, but without actually wanting to cling to each other as much as these three people. I might have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was that time you tried to hug me, right? <laughs> yes, when you came and visited me earlier in the year. Yeah, yeah, and I said, I'm still English, and then backed away. Yes. Well, yeah. well let's not discuss your repressed sexuality. So. Oh, you mean my normal behaviour for a British person? <laughs> <laughs> Not these modern British people. <laughs> I'm modern, am I? Really? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, it's just a contradiction. It is. Confusing. Yeah. It is. So below them, Sulu and the guards appear, but Kirk orders Spock to fire the booster rockets. They blast yeah. up the shaft. Yes, I did. Say that, yes. I know, I'm letting you go with it. But, you know, these are very powerful rocket boots. Where's all this rocket power contained? In his feet. Just in his feet? Just in his feet. Just hmm. in the soles of his feet. Yes. Okay, all right. So they blast up the shaft, almost crashing into the ceiling. Yeah. I believe I overshot the mark by one level, says Spock. Nobody's perfect, replies McCoy. Like it. Again, yeah, great character moment. McCoy gets actually the best lines in this film. McCoy gets all the best moments in this film. He does, yeah. He gets a really good one in a minute, which is probably the best scene in the whole movie. Oh, yeah, I agree. Mm. So they uh, they reach the communications equipment, and Kirk sends out a distress signal, which is picked up by a claw in his bird of prey. The Klingons appear to be able to pretend to be Federation people, and... Nobody knows. How come the Klingons have got really good communications equipment that not only can they listen in on Federation communications, but they, they can pretend to be Federation people? Meanwhile, Starfleet's like, I don't know what the Klingons are doing. I ain't got a clue. They're, they're over build, there they're, somewhere. Yeah, we've already established they're building ships that don't work properly. I guess so. It's, it's atrocious. It, it, it's almost like the, there's a new um, regime come in that doesn't know what they're doing. Really? Yeah. Oh. Can you imagine oh. that? I don't know. The new oh. administration comes in, and they're kind of just half assing it. Well, let's hope they don't last. Let's hope so. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. Let's hope they Johnson this equipment. Is it just me, or is there something a little bit special about the way that William Shatner says the line, this is Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. When does he say that? When he's when he's doing the emergency oh. broadcasting. It's almost like somebody going into a restaurant and they're like telling them they can't find a table and they're replying with, "Do you know who I am?" Yeah, a little bit like that. But it, is, that, is that what you meant? Yeah, and it's also iconic as well, isn't it? James T. Like Bond. Yeah. James Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. Not at the time, but I can imagine William Shatner doing that. Yeah. He says I it mean, in a certain way. So, um, Cybert finds them. 
-hmm. and he launches into a monologue about achieving the impossible and breaching the barrier. The impossible dream. Don't sing. Cyborg accuses Kirk of being afraid. I'm afraid of nothing, says Kirk. (laughs) I'm afraid of nothing. (laughs) Come on, take you all on. (laughs) I bet he's afraid of... um, Lawsuits. Lawsuits. (laughs) (laughs) So in sickbase, Scotty wakes up to find himself being... uh, Poured over by an Uhura in heat, apparently. Again, actually, this is where I wrote, has there ever been a hint of any kind of relationship between Uhura and Scotty before? Which is what you mentioned earlier. She's all over him. The only, like, it would have to be Uhura and Kirk because that's the only time there's previously ever been any kind of hint. And Mm. that was controlled by another alien being. Mm -hmm. But not Scotty and... I mean, Scotty's barely on the bloody bridge. And he looks terrified of her as well. Well, she's a little strong at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your kind of woman. I'm not saying anything. Um, so, so, so Cyborg begins to uh, try... <laughs> shut up. Cyborg begins to uh, try to remove the, the hero's secret pain, um, causing them to suddenly see visions of the... Um, of their past. Yeah, which we didn't see with the other characters. No. So what we get to see is, first of all, we get to see McCoy. He sees his dying father and the time that he switched off his life support system to release him, only to for there to be a cure uh, developed yeah. soon afterwards. But his dad is like, what, 100 years old? Mm-hmm. So he would have died of old age anyway. <laughs> so... Just let him die, is what he's saying. No, no, what I'm saying is... Yeah, just let him suffer and die. He's going to die anyway. He's old, isn't no, he? No, so. the illness wouldn't have killed him, right. but old age probably would have. Yeah, but the Ill- illness was, was, was going to kill him sooner, obviously. Like what? Five seconds? <laughs> he was suffering. So, yeah, so I don't see what the big deal is. And this is a moment that DeForest Kelly didn't want to play until Shatner convinced him... Um, that it was one of the cornerstones of the movie. Now, I don't agree it's a cornerstone of the movie, but I agree that it is beautifully played by DeForest Kelly. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic in this movie. Oh, I think it's excellent. Mm-hmm. It, it is a really good scene for him. And, yeah, I think it's one of the best things he's done in Star Trek. It is, but I can also see why DeForest Kelly didn't want to do it origi- originally as well. Yeah, it's crap. <laughs> no, it just, it just, you know... Yeah, I, I suppose he didn't want to sour his character, in a way. Oh, he didn't want to be known as the person that killed his dad. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I but can he, see that. But he pulls it back when he says that when they ask him why did you do it, and he says it was to preserve his dignity, and he delivers that line so well that you you kind of forgive him for any of it. I, really, I genuinely think it's the best scene in the film. It is. It is. Uh, and next, we um, Cyborg makes Spock see his own birth, which apparently yeah. took place in a Vulcan cave. Um, and we see his father's disappointment as, when he's crying as a baby, and he says, it's so human. Yeah, but we also see a midwife that apparently spent a lot of time putting on makeup. Oh, yeah, she's caked in it. To be a, at a birth of a baby. Yeah, and what why? did she think she was attending? Um, 
Oh, go on. What? An opening? Don't say that, Paul. An opening. <laughs> so so why would a logical race like the Vulcans choose to give birth in a, in a cave not surrounded by lots of medical machines and doctors? Because tradition is higher than logic. I have no idea. It is a... Um, yeah, it's, a, it's not very well thought out. Bollocks is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Although, so, um, Spock's uh, father, Sarek, he's played by a different actor, but yet voiced by... Um... I should have thought that through before I said it. Yeah, should... Danger Mouse. Who are we going for? What's his name? What's his name? I don't know. Go on, Paul. You do know his name, don't you? Okay, then I'll just IMDB it while you're... Oh, my brain's embarrassed gone by... by Embarrassed by yourself. Normally, I'd know it. What is it? Um... Give me something that he's been in before. Star Trek 3? Star Trek 3, yeah. Um, Mark Leonard, I've got it. Are you sure about yeah. that? Mark Leonard, yes. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Are you positive? Uh, absolutely 100% positive. You're feeling a little weird about it, right? No, I'm not at all. I know it's true. It sounds a little weird because Mark, like Leonard, Mark Nimoy, Leonard. Like Mark, Mark Leonard, are you sure? Yes, I am. I don't see his name in the Star Trek it's Mark, credits. It's Mark Leonard. Are you sure? Oh, fuck off. Here, you know is it's it, Mark Leonard. Is it Mark with a K? Yes. Mark Leonard. Mm, actor. Oh, all he's done is taking off. He's <laughs> Mark Leonard. <laughs> Let, let's try this other Mark Leonard that's down here. No, he's not done anything either. Are you sure? <laughs> it's Mark Leonard. Are you sure? Yes. I don't see anything for him. I'm going to do it, right? Okay. What are you doing? So even though it, it's it's a completely different actor playing Sarek, it is actually Mark Leonard doing the voice. Are you sure it's Mark Leonard? <laughs> <laughs> you sure it's the actor? Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, um, so Cybot can create visions now. So how does that work? Uh, well, we assumed that he created visions before, but we were just too cheap to see it. Ah, right, okay. Do you, I always assumed that maybe the creature on the other side of the barrier was helping him along in some way. Could be. Mm -hmm. Could be. But I think, like, Phil the Drill, he saw images, but we just didn't see inside his head. Thank oh, God for that. <laughs> because he wasn't a principal character. Would you want to see inside Phil the Drill's head? I mean, really? All them holes? I mean, that's... Be kind of dry, I guess. Dusty. Dry and dusty holes. A lot of desert. Yeah. So finally, Cybok turns to Kirk, but he refuses to submit, telling Cybok, I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. Yeah, that's what keeps him going, right? It is. Shatner's really good in this moment. Don't roll your yeah. eyes. He's, yeah, he yeah. is good in it. He's good. He's good in a lot of this movie. He's fantastic. He is. Yeah, great. So Cybok, thinking that he at least has won over McCoy and Spock, says that they'll accompany him, accompany him to the bridge while Kirk remains. Oh, Mark Leonard was in Chapel 1. I'm sorry, I just distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep going. All right. But Cybok has underestimated the friendship between them and they choose to remain with Kirk. Kirk tells Cybok that they'll never breach the barrier, but Cybok says that he knows he will because of visions that God has given him. You are mad, says Kirk. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. 
we get a shot of the Enterprise flying into the Great Barrier. It's a shame that it's uh, green and not red like it was in the original series. Well, but it's a different Great Barrier. That's just me. Yeah. yeah. Great Barrier version 2. It's well, gone it's green. Not, it's, it's gone off. It's not, it's not really the Great Barrier. It's this god, this creature's version of Great Barrier. But that's the Great Barrier they've always known. Shush. All right. So this cloud effect was done very old school, wasn't it, with coloured dye being injected into oil and water? Yeah, it doesn't show, does it? <laughs> it looks. It doesn't look too bad. It's, it's all right. right. It's all right. Does it? It does the job. So but, on the observation deck. Yeah, Kirk and Spock and McCoy look out of the window in awe at everything they're seeing. Yeah. Finally. And rather easily, they emerge on the other side to find a glowing blue planet. Yeah, this this great barrier, not so great. <laughs> doesn't take long, does it, really? No, no, it doesn't take anything at all. At not all. sure what the big deal was about. Neither do I, no. Are we dreaming, asked McCoy. If we are, then life is a dream. And we get a shot of a, of a plaque. Which... We do with the Were No Man Has Gone Before inscription on it and a nice little musical callback to the uh, Alexander Courage theme from the original series. We do. And also, the Life Is But A Dream is a reference to Row, Row Your Boat, which you said they were looking at the barrier in R. And R's are what you use to row a boat. <laughs> so back on the bridge, Chekhov tells Cyborg that there's a, a power source on the planet like nothing he's ever seen before. Big Daddy's. Sauce? <laughs> yeah. Big Daddy's sauce. Catch yeah. up. Come on. <laughs> Cybok stands next to everybody, the human, the Romulan, the Klingon, and they go through each version of what heaven is. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cybok says, Shakari. The Klingon says, Kwetor. Mm -hmm. The Romulan says, Votavar. And Sinjin says, Bansley. <laughs> he doesn't. He says Eden. Cy oh, this is difficult. So Cyborg allows uh, Kirk, Spock and McCoy back onto the bridge, saying that the ship needs its captain. What makes you think I won't just turn us around, asks Kirk. Because... You too must know, says Cybok. Still, I'm sure Cybok doesn't need to involve the one person on the whole ship who thinks he's crazy. I mean, he's already got Sulu, Uhura, and Chekhov, and the rest of the crew, apparently. So he doesn't really need Kirk at this point, does he? But somehow he lets him back in charge. I think it's because he feels that he's so right that Kirk is going to see that he's right, and so it doesn't matter. So he still wants to win Kirk over. I don't think he's going to win Kirk over. I think the fact that God is going to yeah, be there will win him over. What I'm saying is Cybok wants Kirk to see it. Though. He wants Kirk. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't believe Kirk is going to turn against him because he's going to see God, so why would you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it by the book, says Kirk. Which book is that? Debbie Does I mean, Dallas. What kind of book would that be? <laughs> I'm sure I've read it. No, I think you've seen it. You're not read it. <laughs> it's not a book, Paul. Can you imagine it, if it was? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm imagining. I lost, I lost it. Give me, a, give me a second. <laughs> I've got to work with this. 
You're gonna walk with it. You gotta work with it. Hold right. on. Okay. Yeah, still better than this film. Better than this. <laughs> so, um, Kirk orders the ship to uh, take a standard orbit around the planet, and Spock and McCoy and Cyborg accompany him to the shuttlecraft so that they can go down and investigate. Don't just stand there, he says. God's a busy man. It's a good line. It is a good line. So the shuttle heads for the planet, piloted by Spock. They pass through clouds to find a desert-like planet beneath as something takes over the controls and lands the shuttlecraft for them. That's handy. It is. It is. Kirk goes to grab a phaser, but Cybok shakes his head in disgust. And Kirk says, okay, we'll play it your way. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes outside and sets off to look around. Cybok is amazed by it all. But Kirk, Kirk obviously has his doubts. Also, it doesn't look that amazing. I mean, it doesn't look like Eden. I mean, it looks like more like something from a Star Trek episode, right? Yeah, but I have this idea that it would look like Eden to a Vulcan, wouldn't it? Because they live on a desert-like planet. Yeah, but this is William Shatner's film. We're not seeing it from fucking Lyndon Nimoy's view. Quite. We're seeing it from William <laughs> yeah, Shatner's yeah, view. Maybe, maybe from a story point of view, Shatner saw it that way. No, I think Kirk's probably thinking, shit, I've been here before. <laughs> hey, he's like, everybody, look out for a green thing called a gone. Where's the gone? Yeah. The reap bastards. <laughs> Trust me. Look like a guy in a green suit, but they're not. Really strong. Punch him in the ears. That's what you need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah do, do a kind of fake man from Uncle Karate Shop. That usually works. <laughs> Back on the bridge, everyone is um, somehow watching everything on the, uh, on the planet unfold via the view screen. Oh, well, that's a Star Trek thing. Mm-hmm. While Scotty's working hard to repair the transporters. He's doing that for about two hours now for the entire movie, right? That's all he's, that's his entire job that started at the very beginning. He's still working on it. That's right. I'm beginning to think that Scotty doesn't know what he's doing. I think he, 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 he does that thing that we do where he fudges it. Wait, hold on. <laughs> let's, let's have a conversation about this. What's this wee shit? You, you know what I'm saying. No. I think... I think what you're saying is that you get people who are better at doing than what you're supposed to be doing to surround you so that you look like you know what you're doing. Yeah, you mean I'm smart, is what you're saying. Mm, could be. <laughs> Don't think that's the word I'm looking for, but okay, we'll let it slide. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, on a monitor in the background, we see an image of the Klingon bird of prey appear. Mm -hmm. uh, the Enterprise was followed. Whoa, through so the, the impenetrable barrier <laughs> exactly. that no ship has ever gone before. Exactly. That no ship has ever been able to travel through because it's the impenetrable barrier. They followed in their wake. Well, they weren't asleep. <laughs> Very good, yes. <laughs> also, we also get a lot of padding at this point with music of wonderment, but it's just rocks. It is. It's lots on of On the planet, it's just rocks. I mean, it's not visually inventive like Star Trek the motion picture, but the music is kind of conjuring that idea, but we're basically seeing people on rocks. Lots of rocks. Yeah. Climbing over rocks, staggering over rocks. 
rocks. rocks. Yeah. <laughs> so after walking a while and finding nothing, Spock is about to console Cybok when the sky darkens and the ground shakes. Suddenly, huge polystyrene, I mean, stone rocks erupt from the ground, forming into a kind of temple. Yeah. yeah. Never thought of the temple. I was thinking more Stonehenge, but okay. I think this is where Shatner wanted a lot more than what he what? ended up with. I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. So can he. Forever. Yeah. A swirling mist appears and uh, great, a great beam shoots into the sky, passing the Enterprise. It's a nice shot. Yeah, is it? Oh, yeah. A nice effect okay. shot when, when the beam passes the Enterprise. A voice welcomes them. McCoy asks, is this the voice of God? One voice, many faces. Wasn't he uh, a character in He-Man? Oh, was he? Yeah, you, yeah, I had the figure. You press the button and his face. Remember him? Mm, vaguely, Many yes. faces, yeah. Hmm. Um, the entity begins to show them images of uh, a Klingon god, a human god before finally setting on looking like a giant floating Father Christmas head. <laughs> yep, I have Santa Claus. He is. Yeah, yep, that's what I got in my notes. So the entity tells them that they are the first to find him, and he perks up suddenly when Sarvok tells them that um, they breached the barrier by the use of a starship. This starship, mm -hmm. will it carry my wisdom out into the galaxy, says the entity? No, but it'll, it'll carry your spunk. <laughs> what? Okay. That's rude. Uh, I'm allowed one. Uh, yeah, it's, you, normally you are allowed one. <laughs> that is the, the law. So Kurt raises his hand. Excuse me. It says, it says excuse me, I, I've been nice. He's been naughty. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Yeah. He says, um, what does God need with a starship? McCoy replies, you don't ask the Almighty for his ID. Another, good, another good line. It is. He gets all the best lines, which... He does. It's odd, considering William Shatner wrote it. Yeah, he I think he really liked DeForest Kelly, though. Hmm, okay. He saved his life once. William Shatner saved DeForest Kelly's life? He did. Apparently, they were in a restaurant, and DeForest Kelly started choking on a fish um, bone, and... Um, William Shatner performed the Heimlich maneuver on him, saved his life. Oh. I thought it was going to be that William Shatner dived in front of DeForest Kelly's a bullet. All right, that, that's good. Dramatic, but you know. Okay, that's good. So, angered at being doubted, the entity uh, shoots energy beams from his eyes, wounding Kirk. Yeah, that's the kind of god I like. Mm. It makes sense that Kirk would doubt. So easily, though. I mean, considering the fact that this is probably what, like, the fiftieth godlike uh, imposter that he's probably encountered at this point. Yeah, he's knocked gods off left, right, and centre. He's, right? he's done what to him? He knocked them off. <laughs> Shut them down. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, as McCoy leaps to Kirk's aid, Kirk asks, "Why is God angry?" Mm -hmm. Next, Spock repeats the question. And he also gets shot down for his trouble. Yeah. Do you doubt me? It asks McCoy. I doubt any god, says McCoy, who inflicts pain for his own pleasure. So Cybot freaks out, and the entity um, 
reveals himself to be a, a prisoner. Oh, reveals he himself. He does. He goes, wait, have a look at this. He's a prisoner on the planet, demanding to be given the Enterprise to escape. So he, he's an alien, let's assume, and he's constricted by this barrier. That's right. That he, that he can't cross. That's right. But he can inject his mind into a specific Vulcan yeah. light years away. Yeah. Did he do other people or just this one Vulcan and hope that he would bring them to him? Or did he just do like thousands of people and this is just the one that happened to come up with a plan? He was looking for a specific Vulcan. So it had to be a Vulcan. Well, they're telepathic, aren't they? Okay, so it had to be somebody who was telepathic. Yeah, and Cybok's susceptible anyway because he's outside of Vulcan norm. I don't know. It's just a weird... <sighs> it doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't. And I have a vague memory of reading the, the novelization of it, and it kind of explained it a little bit better. I was thinking I'd like to read the novelization to see how they do explain it. Mm. So. so laughing, it turns into a, a copy of Cybok, mocking his vanity. Bring the ship closer so that I might join with it. He wants to shag it, basically. All right, that was... A very weird moment, but that's how, he, that's how he says it. So, um, Kurt pulls out his communicator, and he, oh, he remember take it with him this he time. He did, yeah. He calls the Enterprise, and he says, "Listen carefully." While Cybot goes to Spock, asking for what? It's like, "Hello, hello." Listen, I'll only say this once. <laughs> well, he does though. Mm, he does, yeah. While Cybot goes to Spock, asking for forgiveness for what he's done. Sabot runs runs at the entity, and they struggle as Kirk orders the ship to send down a, a torpedo. Yeah. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy take cover as the temple explodes. Mm -hmm. A little bit anticlimactically. We do, but we hear a mournful wail, and I, I thought, "Oh, did you hear us singing again?" <laughs> well, they didn't let us sing the first time. It's not her That's voice. True. Yeah. So. It's not, no. Is it her though standing there? It's her standing there, but they didn't let her do the singing. But does she sing? She does, yes. Oh, okay. The fact that she's miffed about to this well, day. I'm not surprised because doesn't she have albums and stuff? Exactly. So I don't know why they didn't let her do it, but they didn't. So hmm. this is where um, Shatner wanted this fight with the rock creatures, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. The entity is now a little bit pissed. And it starts screaming what sounds like, Why you? Is that what it says? It does. Really? Why no. you? So Kirk, Spock and McCoy run back to the shuttlecraft. And on the Enterprise, it's red alert time. It's where you get drinks. Drinks half price. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Scotty's like pulling the whiskey. He He's what? Pulling the whiskey. Pulling the whiskey. No, no, not pulling the whiskers. That's ah. very different. Reaching the shuttle, um, Spock finds that the controls are inoperative as the entity shakes the craft just a little bit. Not too much, just a little bit. Yeah, just enough to yeah. get a little shimmer on. Yeah, don't we all? Kirk calls the ship and Scotty tells him that the transporters are online, but only enough power for two people at once. What a surprise. Yeah, who just saw that coming? Yeah, not me. I would get a new engineer at this point. Yes, because this has happened far too many times. 
Yeah. He's, he's, he's clearly uh, an idiot. Yeah, incompetent. Kurt instantly uh, has Spock and McCoy beamed up, and I like McCoy's reaction of, uh, no, wait just a goddamn minute as he gets beamed up. That's good. Yeah. Spock orders Kurt beamed up, um, but wouldn't you know it, the Klingon bird of prey appears and attacks the Enterprise and disables the transporter. Yeah, a bird of prey that managed to get through this barrier that is impenetrable by every ship known to man previously. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a battered Enterprise that hardly works, and a Klingon bird of prey can get through this impenetrable barrier. Don't you think that this would all be okay on a, an episode of a television series? But as a major motion picture, it's all a bit trite, isn't it? I just think nobody's ever tried before. Yeah. Maybe they're all like that barrier. It's impenetrable. Oh, I'm not going to do that then. So no one's ever bothered. So no one's ever bothered until someone's decided to do it, and they're going, oh, it's actually quite easy. But, uh, as I said, the Enterprise did it at least twice in the original series and came away mm. unscathed. Yeah, so maybe they knew about it, but didn't tell anybody else. Mm. That's why the crew didn't react when ah, right, the okay. message went out across the PA mm-hmm. and the... Cyborg was saying we're going to go through the barrier. Everyone was like, "Yeah, we've done that. Been there. We've heard about it. Enterprise can do it. No other ship can." Apparently, yeah. So the entity attacks the shuttle, and Kirk does a runner. Does a runner. He does a runner. He runs away from the shuttle, doesn't he? Doesn't sound like Kirk to me, but okay. A lot of it doesn't. Yeah. So Spock contacts the bird of prey, and uh, Captain Claw demands the Enterprise surrender. Claw. Whatever. And um, he also demands that they hand over um, Captain Kirk, but Spock tells him that Kirk is on the planet. Claw accuses Spock of lying, but Spock points out that uh, being a Vulcan, he's incapable of lying. It's a line he uses a lot. It's kind of convenient, because if you do lie, no one's ever going to know. Don't you think, though, that apart from... This is completely stepping aside from the film for a minute, but don't you think that... Us do that? I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Aside from Star Trek The Motion Picture, Leonard Nimoy never played Spock from the original series ever again. Well, Star- well he, had a, he had a big change in STMP, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because he, he became like this distant character in STMP, mm-hmm. and then he died yeah. in ST2, mm-hmm. and he came back to life in ST3. So the fact that he, um, he's suddenly a lot more human after Star Trek Four is down to the fact that he's not kind of the same Spock that we knew. No. I, it's possible that he has some kind of... I mean, obviously I'm talking about this as just person watching. I don't know all the Star Trek stuff that these fans know. But it's possible that he has some kind of McCoy influence embedded in with him yeah possibly because in his, isn't his Catra was inside part of McCoy's McCoy? head yeah so mm-hmm. couldn't that influence his behaviour in future Star Trek yeah that makes sense yeah yeah I like that idea yeah I just yeah. I, I I just think of all the characters in Star Trek the original series um then Leonard Nimoy got the chance to progress his character a lot more than everyone else Really? Yeah, I agree. Although I would say that Dr. McCoy would also have had the chance to do so, but 
probably didn't because of the way it's been written. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Okay. He's the only one that's had such a huge transformation. Yes. So Spockland goes to uh, General Cord, who's on the bridge of the Enterprise with the rest of Cybok's uh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are we going to call them? Crew? Guys is fine. Okay. okay. Sexist, but okay. And he asks for his help, pointing out that he is uh, Captain Claw's superior. Claire. Exactly. I'm a foolish old man, he says. Damn you, sir, says Spock. You will try. Which I have a problem with. I assume... Actually, it goes back to the conversation we just had. Mm -hmm. That's more of a McCoy line than a Spock line. Yeah, but as I said, I think he's playing a Spock who isn't the same Spock that we used to know. He's he's died, he's come back. And doesn't that fit in with what I said about McCoy influencing exactly. his mind? Exactly. Yeah, okay. It's a very McCoy yeah. reaction, isn't it? Yeah. Damn you, sir. You know. Yeah. Back on the planet, Kirk is running for his life, pursued by the Entity. He climbs a mountain, and he's got nowhere to go, when suddenly the bird of prey rises above him and blasts the Entity into pieces. Let's assume that the bird of prey was cloaked, shall we? Yeah. You know. Let's, let's assume that. You know, it's like a helicopter. Sort of. You can't hear it if you can't see it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Don't know where that comes from, you, do you? <laughs> you'd know all about helicopters just suddenly appearing in third acts, wouldn't you? I wouldn't. Don't know what he's no. talking about, no. No. So the Klingon ship's uh, guns train on Kirk. So it's me you want, you Klingon bastards, he says angrily. Mm. Nice call back to Star Trek Three. Yeah. Mm? But suddenly he finds himself beamed aboard and taken to the Bird of Prey bridge. Cord is now on board, and he orders Kirk released and forces Captain Claw. Claire. Yeah, that's what I said. To apologize, stating that the attack on the Enterprise wasn't sanctioned by the Klingon government. Finally, the weapons controller turns in his chair, and it's Spock. He was the one that shot the Entity all along. Because Spock's known for his skills at... Firing a gun. He's he's known for his gunning. He is. Yeah. Yeah. He's a gunner. Everyone says, oh, that Spock, he's a right gunner. They call him Gunner Spock. Gunner Spock, yeah. I've I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. So Kirk goes to embrace him, but Spock says, not in front of the Klingons. Ah. It's a funny moment, and both the actors play it well. And do you think it was a joke reference in all the Kirk Spock slash fiction that was going around at the time? Which still is a thing. It's possible. It's a funny moment, though. It is. Who reads that stuff? You. (laughs) In between when you're writing it. (laughs) I've got a new volume coming out next week, actually. Um, You do, yeah. yeah. Volume 752. That's the one, yeah. Uh, It's a good one, this one. Yeah, the first 750, they were a slog. But 751 was all right. Is, I got, so I'm looking forward to the next one. I'm working a Ferengi into this one. You like that? Oh, a lot of battering. Flapping ears. You like that? <sighs> Gold platinum. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not sure I like that. Oh, trust me. I've never, I, okay. I've never steered you wrong yet, have I? That's true. I'm pretty sure that, that 
um, both Shatner and Nimoy were aware of what they were doing in this scene. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure, too. Mm -hmm. Finally, we get a decent shot of the Enterprise and the Bird of Prey flying in formation. It's a pretty good shot. On the observation deck, there's a reception going on for the Klingons. Scotty is getting drunk with uh, Cord, and Sulu and Chekhov are stalking the female warrior. Yeah. Wonderful, mu right. wonderful muscles. That's that's what they say. Yes. And Captain Claw begrudgingly gives Kirk a salute. Yep. Which uh, Shatner plays very well. He plays it like, yeah, I'm going to do it back, but I really think you're a piece of shit. Yeah. Okay. What are you going to say? Nothing. I just. Just there's so much Shatner love, it's embarrassing. <laughs> you accuse me of this of everything, you know. No, just Shatner. No, no, no. I've, I'm pretty sure I've been accused of loving an actor far too much before. Nope, just Shatner. All right. Wait till we do TJ Hooker. Oh, my God. Yeah. That'll, that'll be embarrassing. I'll, just keep your clothes on. I'll let out my That's corset. all I ask. My corset will be let out that day, I'll tell you. Yeah. So Kirk joins McCoy and Spock as they look out at the planet below. They wonder if God is really out there. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's really inside the human heart, replies Kirk. Spock dwells on the fact that he's lost a brother. Kirk tells yeah. him sadly that he lost a brother once. I don't, but, yeah, but he was lucky to get him back. Go on. It is, but we lost a brother that us as an audience didn't even know existed. So it's... And I, I haven't told you this, Paul, but... I, 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 I lost a brother once. Did you? It was a lovely dot matrix printer. Oh. <laughs> we were inseparable. I don't want to talk about it, Paul. Well, I'd like to think. Now I'm going to get all Star Trek -y here. All right. I like to think that when he's re referring to his brother mm. that he lost, he's referring to the brother that he lost in the original series episode. But he's probably not referring to that in the script. He's probably referring to um, the death of Spock and the fact that he got Spock back. What? Well, Spock. Oh, he looks Kirk at... is referring to the loss of Spock. And... Yeah. Okay. But if you remember the original series, Kirk did have a brother and he mm -hmm. died in an episode. Right. It would be nice if that was what he was talking about. He's probably not, okay. but... No. Because, you know, William Shatner doesn't remember everything he did. But No, no, it was a job. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to think of it as a Star Trek fan. That's what he's talking about. Okay, well, you can live with that. Yeah. I thought you said that men like us don't have families, asked McCoy. Kirk smiles. I was wrong. Again, it's another good scene played by three actors that know each other really well at this point, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And finally, as we cut to Kirk, Spock, and McCoy back at the campfire, all now singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat, the camera pans up to the stars, and Jerry Goldsmith's fanfare begins again. And that's the end of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Yep. So, Colin, what do you think of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier? It's the worst of the original Star Trek movies. Mm -hmm. I can't deny that it has nice moments i like the kirk spock mccoy moments but i think there's too much of it this is a movie not an episode of a tv show you don't have time to focus on this and then move on to something else the plot is crap 
Okay. The idea of the guard and the barrier and there's so many like flaws in it. And it really is hampered by the budget constraints. Not because of special effects, but because of what they removed from the story itself. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been better if it was directed by somebody else. I think William Shatner is too close to the material to direct it with a non-partisan opinion. Mm-hmm. Do I hate it? No, it's Star Trek, and I'm a softie for Star Trek. <laughs> okay, for me, it's not a hit. I've got kind of a different opinion than you. Gosh, you do, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like all the original cast movies to various degrees and for various reasons. The original cast for me is the best Trek cast of any other series. It's, it's my go-to Star Trek cast. Having said that, I know that this film has got some terrible issues. The budgetary cuts, the poor special effects, problems with the writer strike that didn't help either. Mm-hmm. A lot of that isn't Shatner's fault, though. And a lot of the blame goes unfairly at Shatner's feet, I think. Right, but that's not got anything to do with the enjoyment of the film. No, and what I'm saying is that he wanted this to be a lot more than what he ultimately was able to present to people. Yeah, but I'm not watching what he wants to be. I'm no, watching what no. is. I'm, I'm just pointing out the fact that this movie gets shit on a lot by a lot of people. Okay. And Shatner gets shit on a lot in particular for directing it. Shatner's fingerprints are all over it. To its detriment in places... I'm not completely blind to that. The, the the belittling of the supporting cast is is objectionable. Objectionable to say the least. The glorification of the big three characters, Kirk, Spock and McCoy, could have been a little more evenly handed, I think. Yep. But it's original Trek and I like it. And um I don't care I'm gonna get ridiculed, but it's a hit for me. I like this film. Well, <laughs> looks like we really disagree on that one. But maybe in our next episode, if someone can help us and we can find them, we'll be taking a look at the A-Team TV series, which ran from 1983 to 1987. And I pity the fool who doesn't listen to that one. But if you think you're no fool and you'd like to suggest a film or TV show, then you can send an email to retrospection at email.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter at Retrospecky, and on Instagram at Retrospection Podcast, all one word. And please subscribe us and rate us wherever you listen. You can also hear the themes and songs from the films and shows we review at our Spotify playlist. And finally, if you'd like to support our old episodes and help new ones coming along, then you can lower our server cost by supporting us via patreon.com slash retrospection. Thank you to our current Patreon supporters who make sure another month goes by that Paul doesn't have to high-kick his way with the New York Radio City Rockets in exchange for enough money to pay for our podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that came out. <laughs>